Is that what I think it is? What do you think it is? I think it's a gun pressed up against my dick. <laughs> well, you thought right. Now take your hands from around my throat, nigga. What the hell's wrong with you, Jackie? Shut the fuck up and don't you move. Oh, what is this? What the fuck is hey, this, hey, huh? Hey, 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 now, that ain't got nothing to do with you. I carry that all the time. You've been talking to them police too much. Oh, the police didn't try and strangle my ass. Oh, come on, girl. You know I was just playing with oh, you. Oh, I ain't playing with you. I'm going to unload both of these motherfuckers if you don't do what I tell you to do. You understand what I'm saying? Jackie, stop acting crazy. Do you understand what the fuck I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, woman, damn. Now sit your ass down on that sofa. Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Do You Expect Us Talk? I'm your host, Becca, and always joined by the illustrious Dave Bond and Chris Byrne. How are you both doing? Good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening to this. But good hello. evening, folks. It's always <laughs> evening when I'm recording, even in the morning. Yeah, Dave just like forcing everyone to listen in the evening. So if you're listening to this in the morning, stop what you're doing. You have to listen to the evening. Well, there's, yeah. money, in, there's money in catchphrases. This is, <laughs> is going to make us rich. <laughs> Well, have, have, have you, uh, have you, <laughs> have you, like, uh, copyrighted uh, Good Evening, folks? Oh. Oh, oh. oh. oh you oh, need get, to, don't you? I'll oh, get on that, should I? <laughs> <laughs> you need to get on it, should. folks. It might be one of those, like, obvious things that no one's bothered to do. Yeah. Might be associated with Alfred Hitchcock, to be fair. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. It might be. Well, hence Good Evening Podcast. Yeah, Good Evening Podcast, definitely. Yeah, that'll do. They've managed to restore my faith in the human world. Um, because well, good I, evening I, podcast. Yeah, generally, they're really they've nice. Destroyed, like, they've destroyed my fucking faith because they can't even be fucked to get their own iTunes feed. I mean, as a demonstration of competence. Yeah, but I don't want to allow, download a load of shit about Highlander and the NFL. Get your own fucking feed, Mr. Haig. I've only well, been they, asking for about six months. I know, me too. And I was having major issues downloading that feed as well. So I, I don't know if it's Chris or one of his one of his hosts. They kindly sent me all the episodes. Thankfully, so, they're still talking about the silent shit. So, but in a minute, they'll get it. stuff I care about, and I'll have to like <laughs> sift it out from amongst fucking Highlander episodes. <laughs> Highlander episodes, isn't like the TV show. I have no idea. I'm not going to listen to this shit. I, that's the problem because it isn't their feed. I'm downloading a shitload of stuff I don't want. Right, which feeds this? Like, what's the fandom? Fandom, right? Okay. Yeah, fandom network. Yeah. Right. Okay, that's the problem. It's a network, and it's so you got like everyone. Got to listen to all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the only so... problem. We, I promise you, we will take fewer listeners and not go on a network because you shouldn't have to download stuff you don't want. No, yeah. but I, I did see there was a really cool podcast called Discoville, which is about Discovery and Orville. But I think Discoville sounds really cool. Oh are yeah, no, I'm Why are we promoting a network I've just slagged off for clagging up a load of shows around the one I actually want? <laughs> to be fair, I, I kind of like some occasionally shift like 
some choice podcast if it features you on it onto the feed. Yeah. But that's well, that... different. There's two thirds of the fucking. <laughs> it's the same show minus Becca. <laughs> Pretty much. So therefore, it's not the same show. No, not yeah. at all the same show. But I would assume our listeners might be interested. It, it, it's less annoying and it's less frequent, I guess. If well. we suddenly stuck on two completely unrelated people talking about ice hockey, <laughs> then, then I might be a little bit like reticent in thinking, well, that goes with our feed. <laughs> <laughs> you're right yeah which is yeah, exactly what the case of having an alfred hitch you've got chris haig talking about silent alfred hitchcock films and next to it is a podcast about the nfl <laughs> that's fucking mental <laughs> get your own feed varieties of spice of life dave yeah well yeah <laughs> sorry my mind went towards filth then but carry on <laughs> <laughs> what really well, filth yeah. Not, not towards not towards a suitcase of money. Or, Just to try and or, bring it back on topic. Or a brown paper bag full of money. Oh, no, a brown paper bag full of books at the bottom and then beach towels. Well, then money and then some beach towels. There are no suitcases in this film. No, well, it was kind of like a flight bag, really, wasn't it? Was no, um, no suitcases with bulbs in. Tell us about tonight's film, Becca. We are reviewing Jackie Brown, starring Pam Grier, Samuel L. Jackson, Michael Keaton, Bridget Fonda, Robert De Niro, Chris Tucker. And Robert Foster, based on Rum Punch by Elmore Leonard, <laughs> Elmore Leonard, and written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, and released in 1997. Christmas Day, 1997, to be exact. Uh, we Merry got Christmas, it, We got it around Easter. Yeah, it took. Which really pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, why? Because I had to wait three or four months for it. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Pretty self-explanatory. It, it oh, just just okay. goes to show just a how bad it, it used to be. Like the, mm. the weight, but but also my awareness of it because I had no idea it was actually released way back then. Yeah, um, and Jackie Brown came out as a Christmas Day. I, I remember seeing this film. I remember where I was because I wasn't in any of my usual sort of cinemas seeing this. I was just outside London in Sutton watching this with my then girlfriend who was from that sort of area, not quite there. It was around, I tell you, I tell you, it was within a week or two of Linda McCartney dying. Oh, because okay. because we went in to watch this film, and I, I remember the, the cinema really, really well. Um, probably because that's probably a good sign that I really liked the film, that the, the, the evening has stuck with me. And it, and it wasn't some magical evening or anything. It was just I remember the that cinema. Um, but we sat watching the film, and I've never had such, such guilt descend on me so suddenly because we saw all the previews and like adverts and all that kind of shit. And then suddenly there was an All Saints music video, and oh, it was God. like, and it was like, it might have been their cover of Under the Bridge or something like that, which was that an abomination, which was an abomination in itself. Mm. Um, <laughs> and then the cam, and then the camera panned back from wherever this video was shot. It was in some like house or something. And then in my memory, and my memory might be playing tricks on me here, like the time of day changed, and then it zoomed in again, and they did another song. Oh. And I was near, I was on the verge of chucking stuff stuff at the screen because oh it was like, why are you indulging these fucking no talents? And then it got to the end of the song and it was in age of like cancer research and in memorial to like Linda McCartney and I felt fucking terrible because <laughs> I had bitched and whined to my girlfriend for about eight minutes. Well, well, to be fair, they don't need to like 
what? How does that help Linda McCarthy? <laughs> like... Well, I don't know because it's not like we were asked for money at the same time. But they they could have said at the start they could have put up a sign that said, "We're now going to play a couple of songs by All Saints. We know they're shit, but this is for cancer." Yeah, I, but I don't get what how that helps. Like I have no idea. Like you know, like what I I. I, I think you have just as right to be pissed off because, like, not only do you have to sit through the two All Saints songs, uh, yeah. which which I think the reason why it was two because it was like a double singles that and something else. Um, Under the Bridge was uh, was almost certainly one. Yeah. I can't tell you what the other one I, was. I, I think they'll, if, if I remember right, but I can't remember what it was. But uh... go, and get, go and get your All Saints album out, Chris. Have a look. <laughs> I actually might have it somewhere. That's quite. Oh rare. fuck off. <laughs> 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 um, well, it's, it's my era. No, all right, okay. But but not only that, but because because you might meant to feel like, oh, this is for charity, really. Well, what the fuck has this got done for fucking charity? And be like, if it's already sold, if it's about number of records sold, fair enough. But why do I need to listen feel, to it? To be fair, it would have made me feel better about having a terminal disease. <laughs> what make knowing that other people have suffered while you suffered <laughs> <laughs> knowing that like that it would soon all be over um, yeah um well the other thing i remember about it uh or the other thing i remember about the, the cinema that night is it was virtually fucking empty and actually this film didn't do that well only did sort of 70 odd million worldwide took something like a third or a quarter of um the take that pulp fiction had and we, we said we'd, we'd um, limit talk of Harvey Weinstein today, but I only mentioned uh, during this series, but I only mention him because he did he did warn Quentin Tarantino at the start. He said, you need a more famous lead and you need a shorter film. Um, and but he, but in Miramax's defense, and I won't say that very often with what we know, they 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 left it to Quentin. They said, if you are willing to take. The, the sort of hit on it then fair enough because uh this is based on the book rum punch which is uh i've never read it but i'm aware that the lead character in that is called jackie burke we'll get on to why it's jackie brown in a minute the whole and it was a white middle-aged lady not a black middle-aged lady and so there are changes this whole sort of black exploitation homage is what quentin brought to it it, it's not there in the book. Mm. The book's written by Elmore Leonard. Elmore Leonard, well, I mean, he Elmore Leonard wrote a lot of stuff. He wrote a lot of westerns. Um, he wrote three the story that's three ten to Yuma. Uh, we probably know him best for outside of this film, for the stories that became um, Out of Sight the following year with George Clooney, which also had um, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton in it playing yes. the same character. Uh, Out of Sight is one of the best films of that year I do recommend it, it's really good it was the first film where I thought, okay he is a star about George Clooney and when that's a year after you've done a Batman film yeah. <laughs> um, Faith Restored that's a great film and it's one of those films where like, uh, Jennifer Lopez is a bit of a fucking Pierce Brosnan in that like, as attractive as she is, she never has any chemistry with anyone, but her chemistry with Clooney was like electric, it was really really good um, the other films that the other the other stories he's probably best known for are the Chili Palmer stories, the ones that became uh, Get Shorty and Be Cool with John Travolta. Oh yeah, uh, they're Elmore Leonard stories as well. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of differences in 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 what we've ended up with here, um, and it did not do that amazingly well. I th- I think the reason why is it wasn't. 
uh, as I say, Pulp Fiction 2. Do you know, yeah. it was like, it was very much, I think, by Pulp Fiction, it was Tarantino at his peak, so you kind of, you kind of want to go, like, over, 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 you, you want to kind of get, you, you kind of, he kind of should have done, like, his Kill Bill then, essentially. Uh, yeah. Kind of, like, should give us that bit of overdose. Stay but... much more in the sort of popcorn end of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I get what you say. I mean, this film is, um, it, it still plays in the same, it still feels like a Tarantino film, and it still feels mm. like the era that produced uh, his first two films that we discussed in the last couple of weeks. But I know there was a lot of feeling, and, and when I look back on it, and the average length of time Tarantino takes between films... It's not a surprising to me now, but at the time, no one knew what was taking him so long. It, no, he's usually just, quite it, quick in succession, wasn't he? No, I mean, no, it's not even that, Becca, because, I mean, he's only done two films. Yeah. I mean, on, on what basis can you say he's normally quick? I mean, the fact he had a well, second film... Well, it's kind of like now, you know... In well, he wasn't that... Yeah, um, Pulp Fiction wasn't that long after Reservoir Dogs, but one quick follow-up, and it's only your second film anyway, yeah. does not really indicate what your career's going to do. He's, he's averaged three to four years. There's a longer gap coming after this week, but he's averaged three to four years ever since. Mm-hmm. So it was about standard. But I remember uh, the aforementioned girlfriend, just before we went down to London and ended up seeing this film, we were in like halls of residence watching the film show with, with Barry Norman. It must have been right near the end of his run on that show because he moved to Sky in 98. And this will have been 98. Mm-hmm. But Tarantino was was, introdu- was interviewed, and actually, it was almost like his ego was set aside, which is quite rare. As much as I quite like him as, as a guy and find him quite engaging, he, he's never s- slow to sort of big himself up. But he was talking about the insane cult around him that had formed by the time of Pulp Fiction. He said, I was even hearing things being described as Tarantino-esque. Um, and he said, I found it really odd because I'd done two films. He said, but everyone was like talking about me as though I'd done like six. He said, people would say to me, oh, I, I love you. I, I, you know, I've seen your movies. And it's like, and he's like, what, really? Both of them? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and, he, and he talks on the special features and in that interview about wanting to come in under Pulp Fiction as opposed to try to top it. Yeah. So, and he said something, I remember him saying, I thought, this whole my voice thing would get tired quite quickly. So I do wonder if this is a reaction to feeling a certain degree of pressure after Pulp Fiction. I think so, because the, the mood of the film is very, very kind of chilled out. It's very... It, it's less Tarantino-esque, which I think is why a lot of people are less taken with it, or at least at, the t- at, least at that time. Uh, I, I can't speak for it now. I think, I think it's still kind of depending on who you ask, some people may say it's probably one of his weaker films, uh, but, you know, I strongly disagree. But we, I... we've, we have got to avoid a certain cliche with it tonight, Chris. I'll come on to it in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, actually, I'll, do, I'll just do it now. The, the, the thing is, I tend to find people... Right, I went to see it. I'll do my first thoughts on how I feel about the film in a minute. But how I felt at the time was delighted. Came out really happy with this. I was buzzing. Really loved it. Um, the best viewing I've had since that viewing was tonight. <laughs> frankly, uh, okay. never had a, never had as good a viewing since that first one. And I came out delighted. And and I remember getting back to Liverpool, and it was pre everyone having mobile phones. That's how long ago it was. And I called my cousin from like a payphone, and I mentioned Jackie Brown to him, and he 
fucking hated it and I was really surprised. And then a lot of people were complaining about it. And I, I think some of it was um, expectations like you're getting at, Chris. But I think as well, having said that, it, it's, it caused like a backlash the other way that I think sounds really worthy and dull. A lot of people who call Jackie Brown his best film go on about what a mature work it is. And I get moderately pissed off with that because it was almost like implying Tarantino three years later was transformed into a much more mature human being. It's actually just the subject matter. The subject matter is a bit more engaging if you're looking for that kind of thing. It's focusing it, a lot more on not, character it's, and, and dialogue it's rather not, than but it's, flashy but it's not a better. But it's not a better film than Pulp Fiction. It isn't, really. It's just different, and it's, it's what you're drawn to. Um, I, I would put his first three films pretty much in a line, you know, sort of standard-wise. Maybe Reservoir Dogs would be a step behind him because it's it it is there's a there's a bit less to it. But I mean, Jackie Brown is an absolutely outstanding film. But yeah, I think a lot of people seem to fall into two camps. They're either this it either underwhelmed them, or they wanted to sound smart by talking about how mature it was. Yeah, sure. What do you think, Becca? Um, I really enjoyed it. I'd not seen it prior to this, so it's really embarrassing. Um, oh, so this was the first viewing then? Yeah, I, I think. Oh, I, I thought you'd seen it once. I might have seen it like once, but I honestly don't remember. I was kind of okay. watching it, and I was like, I don't remember this, so I don't. Yeah. Just obviously didn't wasn't. If I did have that first viewing, it wasn't memorable at all. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would kind of, I do kind of prefer, I mean, obviously, The Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction, I'd probably kind of slot it in between those two, just because obviously it's a recent watch for me. Um, I, I don't know, even though I set up, even though in that case I don't say it's necessarily better, I just kind of preferred it more, I think, because it is, um, it is about more about kind of more about character, um, more about story, more about plot, more about dialogue, rather than, for example, like flashy um, camera moves or cuts obviously that there are some quite clever cuts in this film um it's a split screen um obviously we use captions again rather than kind of like chapters denoting each part of the film there's lots of different captures and headings that come up um which again is a nice touch <coughs> excuse me um but no I, I really enjoyed it i think it's much more you know take on um obviously i, I don't use the word mature now <laughs> um it's, it's oh, a don't be it's afraid so I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's not a valid point to make no, but, but then i don't think the but, other two films are immature which is a bit what, weird what i'm saying is i think a lot of people who do say it almost say it as like a stance to show their own maturity in appreciating mm -hmm. film and yeah, I, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think I don't think it's fundamentally a more mature film than pulp fiction i no. think it's just dealing in different subject matter Exactly, that's it. It's just something different. Again, it, as I say, it's taking taking Elmore Leonard. I can't even say his name. Elmore Leonard's book um, and bringing that whole black exploitation genre to it, um, as we you know, as we know with the with the music and the casting of Pam Grier, of course. Um, but no, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I was quite taken aback by how like how little bloodshed there is and how little people die. Um, I got like halfway through, feel like somebody hasn't been shot yet. What's going on? Yeah. Um, I just that's something that really struck me, and then obviously, um, you know, I kind of I, I jumped at those requisite moments when people do get shot. Um, I think yeah, Samuel Jackson is fantastic. I think that's probably one of one of his best performances in a in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, he's just foul mouthed and, and crazy, and you don't want to be caught on his wrong side, on his but um, on his bad side. Um, it's a dangerous place to be, um, unlike Bond. And yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it actually. Um, I 
the Rampant hey, well has done been... for cramming in a license to kill with. Cramming a bond reference. <laughs> Unnecessarily, I don't you know. You notice it took me about 10 seconds to place it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, I've started now, I'll finish. Um, but yeah, Rampant has been a You're always being such a cunning wing, uh, linguist, Ben. <laughs> Try not to listen to that one and twice, <laughs> twice far. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> we had one of the funniest messages ever. Today. I got messaged by a listener out of the blue, and he do. said, and he said he was out, of the, he was at the gym listening to our Back to the Future episode. I don't know if he was at the gym and then decided to listen to our Back to the Future episode, or whether our stuff inherently lends itself to like pumping iron therefore he thought i want to listen to it i'm off to the gym um but he he, he went to listen to back to the future and put it on twice speed without realizing <laughs> and he said he said something like uh, there's smoke coming out of my earphones every time becca speaks <laughs> I, I got really worried i thought oh no maybe he's fallen off and injured himself i was thinking, oh bugger um <laughs> Yeah, no, but luckily, I, luckily he, he he's all no right. offense to anyone. Anyone, everyone sounds ridiculous at twice speed. I wish I'd left Chris's audio in from the Moonraker episode. <laughs> he sounded like a fucking chipmunk. <laughs> in fact, there is a little snippet of it at the start because I got to explain to listeners what happened, and I play a snippet of it. But um, Chris, what are, what are your thoughts on the film today? Uh, well. Well, to that, well, let me take you back into nineteen ninety nine. Basically, when I bought it on VHS, for that, that was my first viewing, and it was. I, I was one of those things. I suppose I was in the majority of kind of like liking it, but not loving it. You know, it wasn't like as good as say Pulp Fiction was. But then, you know, I was younger, kind of wasn't really appreciate its own. It was only really uh, when it came to his more recent stuff. Where I re- watch watched... everyone jump through hoops not to say the word mature now. <laughs> no, well, yeah, well, it's fair. I, I, I did have that word in my head, but I, I shall, I shan't use it. Oh, um, not, I didn't mean to cow you all on it because I know, I, I, I know, no, no. You know. get what I'm saying. It's not oh, referring yeah, no, it as mature that's the problem. Well, it's referring it to to it as mature to make some kind of stance about your appreciation of film. You're kind of yeah. hijacking which the Chris, kind of Chris, sound, Chris sure. isn't that pretentious anyway. I fucking am, but he isn't. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, <laughs> I, 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 I think you're right uh, to a degree, and I think the when, it, when we think mature, I think. I think it's more down to you, you compare it to say Pulp Fiction, which has very much sub like style over substance, very yes. much so. Uh, this one, I would say, you wouldn't really have that much substance, but it's all in the fucking detail, like it's all in the characters. It like, really is. Like the key difference here, apart from like apart from like, maybe like sort of about the Tarantino esque, you know, it's stripped back a little bit. Um, it's it. Why, why? Why? it's my favourite Tarantino film is I believe in those characters. I know as outlandish as they may be, they may fit into Tarantino universe perfectly. But tar- but in the other Tarantino films, are always just kind of like like a comic kind of aesthetic to it. Here, I absolutely believe these are these are real people, and I believe in the performances. They all strike me as real emotion. Pam Grier, I think, is great. I mean, I you what know, watch like I think everyone in here is great. I think you know Robert Fo- like Robert Foster, the relationship between uh, him and Pat and Jackie Brown. I completely believe in. You, you can you can read off the emotions off their faces. 
I teared up at the end of the film today. I've never had that before. Yeah, just the same as Samuel L. Jackson. You know, you kind of like see how he's always constantly trying to read people and trying to be like smart and it's failing sometimes. Uh, yeah, and just like almost like almost like it takes a really stripped back, laid back approach. But the the thriller esque is actually when two characters are just talking and the tenseness, even though it's like completely overplayed and saying. People not really saying what they're actually meaning, but you can actually see it on their faces and can read the situation as like whether it be threatening or people just trying to work each other out. I, you know, I think it's it's so so underappreciated or so underappreciated at the time, and I, and I understand why. And I think it's just the nature of how people perceive yeah. films. But... <clears throat> I think it doesn't help that a lot of the people who do make that aforementioned mature argument, which is valid, but the people who make that argument tend to be people who aren't that fond of Tarantino anyway. The Mark Kerr modes of this world, yeah. world point to Jackie Brown as the one that got it right. And it's like, no, he's got loads of the other ones right, actually. You're just not a fan. And you've picked on one that seems a little bit more grown up in its conception. I, I, I do have a love-hate thing for Commode. Uh, mostly hates. I, I love th- the guy. I, no, I love the guy. I just disagree with him. Yeah, most of the time. I, I, I just, just sometimes I just think you're a bit up yourself a bit too much time. But I think he's... he's his point on Tarantino, I think it's actually he does make a very good point about how his mindset has actually worked in terms of the fact that he made Jackie Brown, that was a flop, so or perceived as a flop, particularly in the fans' eyes, and then he's proceeded to just sort of like do his own thing. Whereas had it been the other way round, it you know not saying we would have had just like loads of just Jackie Browns ever since then. I don't think that would have been the case, but we may have had a more I, I honestly think we've ended up with the career we were always going to get from him. Possibly, possibly. I genuinely believe that, but I'll talk more about that from my perspective next week because Kill Bill is where you have that big gap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what he does afterwards is like, well, where did that come from? Because he, he fundamentally changes as a filmmaker after this week. It's still Quentin Tarantino, but he moves away from that sort of contemporary crime genre it's a little hyper bit stylist, as well. It's isn't it, as we go into the um, Asian Well, certainly Kill Bill is. Uh, he goes into the chapter structure and everything yeah. else. So he's a very different filmmaker when he pops up next time. So this is his like last hurrah from his first decade, if you like. Sure. Um, and this is but- the only time he's actually adapted something that wasn't his, uh, of, of his own work. To date. Yeah. We're still waiting to see if he does direct Star Trek. I still don't think yeah. that's going to happen. Because oh, yeah, I, I, I did read a report in one place, but I've never, I've not read it anywhere else, and it wasn't exactly Variety. Mm. So um, I still don't think he will, but it's possible. It's possible, of course. It's rumored, but you know how he is, don't you? You know, you know. And I think, and the thing is, even if he does direct Star Trek, if he's, he's doing in... the Manson film, I can't see he will. No, I mean, it, things are, you, you don't know. He literally will just do whatever he feels like, won't he? You know, like he will. It took him so long to do Inglorious Bastards, and then he, you know he, he wasn't going to do Hateful Eight. Then he was like, oh, "Okay, fine, I'll do it." You know, it, you know, it's he very much kind of just goes off. But even if he does do Star Trek, he mm. pretty, he'd probably still count that as not actually part of his big. I ten. wouldn't count it because he didn't write it as well. Yeah, he, he's not Ridley Scott. He's a unique mm. thing. He he produces yeah. and he numbers and he names. You know, he numbers his films, and so. I don't think that'll be his canon. It'll be it'll be akin, although a lot bigger budget and a lot more responsibility, but it'll be akin to him going off and directing episodes of TV shows, which yeah. he's done. Mm. 
So, but yeah, no, I, in, in generally with Jackie Brown, I think that that's why I really, it's just, I believe in those characters. They, you know, it, it's very much more stripped back. It's not more conditioned, more thought out. Just, just a guy, just, just a master filmmaker. Just like, you know what? I'm just telling the story and doing it really fucking well. Does that, that have more, that's how I see it's an adaptation. Brown. Does that does that have more bearing on the facts? Whereas the other two were kind of more, well, not original, but kind of more. Not well, overt, well based, from everything I've ever heard. Elmore Leonard is like his sole brother as a writer anyway. I mean, sure. and, and when you watch Get Shorty, you can see it. Get Shorty could easily be a Tarantino film. That was a great film. Um, Get and Shorty. the sequel, not so much. Anyone listening who's not seen it, Get Shorty is great. Uh, be is not. I, I watched that not so long ago, maybe like six months ago. I mm. did, did not hold up. I had a bad feeling of that film. Oh, right. Oh, I, did I, I you? Oh, well, yeah, but, but, but things, so I remember watching it thinking it was great too. So I was like, watch it thinking, yeah, I'll check, get sure it's great. What, it was on Netflix. So I okay, watched then. it. And then I was one like, oh. That, one of us says it's not great and the other two can barely remember screenings from a while back, but we once thought <laughs> it was good. So... It, it's entertaining, let's say that. It's on, it's, on, it's on British Netflix anyway, so you go watch it within your sort of subscription if you've got yeah. that, so... Uh, Be Cool's not good though. Be Cool was uh, the first thing I think Thurman did after um, uh, po- uh, Kill Bill, and yeah, it's not very good. No. But uh, he's great. He's great as Chili Palmer in it though, John Travolta. He's yeah. really well. He's really, really well cast. First one set around the film industry. Second one's more around the music industry. So I'm inherently going to be less interested in the second one anyway. But it isn't as good. But um, actually, he's put his own stamp on these characters anyway. Jackie Burke in the book is a 45, 44, 45-year-old white woman. You know, central casting at the time, that probably would have been, and it's referenced in all the special features, it would have been like a Michelle Pfeiffer type. And for years, I, I wondered... Because it's all very well saying, well, it's been given a black exploitation sheen, but it doesn't actually play like a black exploitation yeah. film. So I thought, well, what's that about? And you know, thinking about it in recent years, she's a 44-year-old woman whose husband, who, who was caught with her husband committing some crime in her early 30s, took a plea bargain and is now only able to work for like the shittiest, worst, worst out airline out there on no money and very limited benefits and stuff. Not literally no money, but poor wages. Um. I think there is an added dimension of difficulty and pathos in her life when she's 44 and black. It, it's much harder to rebound from that, I would have thought. Possibly. I mean, I, I mean, to be honest, I don't read the colour thing as an issue. I mean, I would totally buy the same situation if she was any colour. I think, it adds, really. a degree, I think it adds a degree of difficulty to a situation, Chris. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. I actually think, I think it helps. I think it helps. I think it makes it much more. If you, you know, if you've got a Michelle Pfeiffer type there, you'd be like, well, "What's your fucking problem?" I'm sure you can make some opportunities for yourself. But um, I, I, I guess it's a, maybe why Stan. I, I just think it's more of like she looks more like a real person. Like if it was like, say, let's just say it was Michelle Pfeiffer. It's like, well, of course you're fucking Michelle Pfeiffer. Film star. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, know, Pam Grid doesn't look like a film star. She yeah. never did. Well, yeah, but I. Some may actually disagree with that, but I, 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 but I think she's great in it. I think she's great. She's in great it. in it, but she never looked like a film star. You go back to her like peak in the seventies. Mm. She's got a bit of a sort of Jennifer Grey nose going on. Yeah, yeah. She's she's not she's not an actual natural beauty per se. She's not a film star. 
Well, well, in that argument, though, the, the nose looks what made Jennifer Grey. As soon as she had that nose job, career, career over. Oh. Uh, amazing one film career. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> one film career. <laughs> yeah, don't we all miss her? Um... I think she went on to win. She was on um, the American version of um, Strictly Come Dancing and Dancing with oh, Stars go, a couple years ago. And she went on to win that. I think she might well, have. Won. That's, that's a sign of a completely dormant career if you're going on that. <laughs> <laughs> That that's not oh well she's done really well is it if she's going on she needs that. to revive her career well she, she she's married agent Coulson so I guess that's something well she is exactly ah okay but um so I think that element adds 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 a little bit to it I don't know whether Ordell was black or white in the book to be honest because I haven't read it but I think this might be my favourite Samuel L Jackson performance he is pretty good in it he just becomes a monster he's quite engaging at the start he's not mm. a nice man. In the first scene, he's banging on about guns and talking to Melanie not very nicely at all. But he goes from like quite engaging and kind of a bit funny to a monster, really quite terrifying. organically through the film. Becca is terrified. I, I think what plays, again, it's like he just plays like someone who, you, you actually know who he is, you know his good side, you know his bad side, so it's like, yeah, he's he's a businessman, he kind of, he's he's actually quite clever in his own way, and he's, but he likes kind of fucking people, he's got a, he's got a bit of sadistic kind of creepy element to him that he's always it's, constantly... It's like Melanie says, he's not, he's not very intelligent, but he has street smarts. Yeah. But he's streetwise. Yeah, Melanie's not necessarily a particularly uh, reliable narrator, though. Well, no, she's not. She's stoned off her tits all the time and not that bright herself. I know, but he is very clever. Well, that's what I'm saying. She's saying, oh, he doesn't know anything about guns. We don't know that he knows nothing about guns at all. That's just Melanie picking on him. Yeah, she's just just a bitch, really. um... All right, calm down, Becca. But I said that, that was my point because she is unreliable and you kind of you've literally only got like his words to go on it. You can't really trust anything that she says because she's hiding most of yeah. the time. But obviously later in the film we see how he treats other women as well. We'll, we'll get back to it as we yeah. go through it. But yeah. his arc through the film is pretty linear actually. He just he just tran- we see more and more monstrous elements to him as he goes along. Terrifying, I guess. Once again, Becca is terrified. <laughs> But it's actually respectful for someone who is like that. I mean, I think in terms of like his level of street smarts, like he is, he's you actually able to see him kind of just sort of like play and sort of figure out people. When he's in with Max Cherry, he's like he, he likes pointing out the fact that oh, it's like part of him. He still put the picture up there to let everyone know. You know, he, he likes sort of. Co- it's a bit people. of a usual suspects thing. Go in and scan the walls and see what yeah. you can learn as quickly as possible. Yeah, but he also likes to make everyone know. But but what does make me think? Uh, that he's possibly not as quite as clever as he thinks he is is when he goes goes into uh, when he first goes into Jackie Brown's uh, place, and it's like you are coming off as cre- I think you're playing it quite strong. You know, you, you're, not you're quite, telegraphing this. Yeah, you're you're yeah. you're basically sort of you're trying to be you know discreet and kind of but you're kind of and sort of discreetly intimidating, but you're coming across as like yeah, I'm 
I'm here to off you. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, we all read you like a book there. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, um, I think it's really well thought. Well, I mean, I, 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 I make fun of Becca and I put a sting in there, which is actually from Kill Bill 1 every time she says she's terrified. But she's right in this case. He's kind of unsettling. He is kind of unsettling. There's no doubt about that. But I mean, for me, I'm, I'm talking about best performance and all the rest of it. The older I'm getting, the more I'm, I'm engaging more with Robert Forster every time. And you, you start noticing little details that maybe I noticed at the time. I feel a bit sorry for him. I'm, I'm ascribing like greater maturity to myself now. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I noticed it 20 years ago. This but is a very mature podcast. His car is shit, right? And his office is shit. This guy is broke. There's clearly not much money in this at all. The no, job he's doing. Yeah. So the guy's, the guy's life's a little bit empty. And his connections with people are like non-existent. Yeah, I just love it. I love this film. Yeah. I think that'll, that'll do me as an opening gambit. I love this film. The last thing I just want to say on the um, as an opening thought is my feelings for the film, and I think the film in general is very well mirrored by its soundtrack. In that we finished Pulp Fiction last week, and I struggled for a day or two to let go of its soundtrack because I'm oh, kind of very immersed in Tarantino at the moment, much more than other series we've done. So, like I say, I'm listening to the soundtracks a lot all day. And I struggled to let go of the um, Pulp Fiction soundtrack. And I was listening to a bit of Jackie Brown's, and I was thinking, this isn't as good. And, like, it's it's revealed itself to me over the week. And I actually think it's better now. There's a couple of songs on this soundtrack I've just utterly fallen in love with this week. And, it, I yeah, there, there are th- points in the film where, again, very like Pulp Fiction, but even more so because there's a more emotional uh, element to this film. I just think that's perfect. The first time he sees her, the first time Max, Max Cherry lays eyes on her, Natural High by Bloodstone. Just mm. what a choice, what a wonderful song. I mean, I think this kind of sums up why I think this film works as well as it does. I mean, you think that first time you see Jackie, like Maxie's Jackie Brown, she's just come out of prison. She doesn't look her best. She doesn't look great, yeah. But <laughs> but in a weird way, he still captures what Maxie's. And you can, it does work in a sort of sense of like, of like, almost like a love at first sight kind of thing, it in does. a weird way. And that's what I, that's what he's kind of tapped into. And I just think that is fucking. I, I don't know how you even get that. I don't. I don't know. But he does it. Uh, you can you can read it in Ma, in Ma, in Max's face how he's he's almost like kind of spitting with her, and he's just you know he's just. A likable guy is as well in wrapped up. But that's not an easy tone to set, you know. And you've got Tarantino, aged probably about thirty three at this point, directed them, maybe thirty four. Um, with none of that life experience really that the people he's directing have, and yet he's able to draw all of this out of them. I mean, it's the best advert in the world for maturity and experience in acting. Yeah, it really is that how you how you can bring your life experiences to bear, and and exhibit a why I'm not I'm not really you know a great fan of like child actors because they can't have that, they can't by definition have that. There is a weight of life experience when they talk to each other, and I'll point to specific scenes as we go through, but there's a weight of of the two actors bringing what they've been through in life to it as well. And Tarantino's captured it, which which makes it a remarkable piece of filmmaking. Yeah, it's just I think it's why it's my favorite. It just showcases just what a 
great director he is. I mean, he will showcase that as well later on, but... It's just so mature. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a very mature podcast, like I said. <laughs> this, yeah. this is going to be our most mature episode, David. <laughs> That's right, Christopher. I don't know why it's... Is it more mature to call people by their full Christian name, is it? I, I, I think so. What do you think, Rebecca? <laughs> I'm not sure, Christopher. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Or shall I be calling you Mr. Byrne and Mr. Bond? Is that more mature? Yeah, you don't really have the accent for it. Mr. Bond works with certain accents. Mr. Bond. Do you want my yeah, charter? Not, not, Mr. Bond? Not, not what do you want to work with my charter? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> we, haven't had, we haven't had like a Devon Bond girl, have we? <laughs> no. <laughs> what do you call a Devon Bond girl? Sounds like a joke, really, doesn't it? I was going to say, <laughs> what do you call it? Is that set-up payoff? What's the payoff like? I don't know, I have to come up with one. But anyway. Why is it for tits and then it's Devon knows how they make it so creamy? <laughs> there we are, that could be the, that could be the um, payoff. Listeners, if you want to come up with a joke along those lines. What would Bond say after fucking a girl Devon knows how they make it so creamy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, anyway... I might discuss... ask the JBR lot, actually. They've got their own dirty minds. I'll ask them to see what they no, say. They I've, heard, I've heard all the episodes of JBR. They don't have dirty minds at all, particularly. No, no, not, not Tom and Chris, but the other ones. Oh, I see. You mean they've got a bit of a filthy fan base? Yeah, they do. Are the fan base getting frustrated because the main show's not giving them enough film <laughs> to feed on? Yeah, clearly. All right, then. Well, well point, point them our way, then. We'll give them the filth. We'll give them the filth that they need. Okay, folks, shall we discuss this film sequentially? Yeah, go for it. And it will when actually you dis- be... When you have to discuss every mofo in the room, let's do it. Except no substitutes. Yeah. Which was on all <laughs> I, the trailers. I thought of Goldeneye when he said that line. I thought, oh, God. Yeah. Goldeneye reference. It was better. Than, this is better than Goldeneye, then. <laughs> um, different, different. Better. <laughs> different. It, it doesn't have a clothes horse in the lead role. Um, oh, anyway. Anyway. Moving so, on. It it, ha- it has a story. Dustin Hoffman gets on the Travelator. Dustin Hoffman. This, is, this shot is repurposed from The Graduate. It is, it is, very much so. I haven't seen I The graduate. graduate. Oh, it's fantastic, Chris. You've not seen it? No, no. Oh, you got to see it. It's really good. I, I, so good. Yeah, the, the problem is, I, I was once asked my 10 favourite films and wrote like 51 films or something. Because I always forget something, and and the graduates the one I tend to forget. The graduates in my top ten, if I can remember to put it there. It's fantastic. It's wonderful, and the the, the soundtrack is just beautiful. I yeah, bought it on a, like a a one off screening of it, maybe. I bought a digipack of it like a few years ago, but I was about to go to Canada right after, and I loved the film so much. I bought the, like soundtrack immediately, and I had it on in the car driving around in North America. So I always think kind of think of America when I think of that soundtrack. But it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful, and the film's really funny as well. There may never have been a better soundtrack, and the film's really funny. You can't ask for more than that. That's a great combination. But yeah, that's like that. That him getting on the that is how the graduate opens when like he's flying home from college or whatever. So it, it's taken from that, and it's Bobby Womack. It's funny yeah. how songs um, end up sometimes used on several different films. But they, um, but they, they always one ends up owning it. Like this song was written for the film across 110th Street, and it's and it's which had Yafet Koto in it. Yes. Um, 
but it was also used in American Gangster, the Ridley Scott film. That was it. But it belongs to Jackie Brown, this song now. In much the same way that you've got um, Hooked on a Feeling on the Reservoir Dogs soundtrack, but it belongs to Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, it's kind of overtaking it now, isn't it? I suppose, I suppose Reservoir Dogs still has the uh, um, little green bag, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes a song will be, you yeah. know, associated with certain films. I mean... Uh, I don't know, Beale tried, tried hard enough to get that song. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> Annoyed sigh. Yeah. I mean, it's a sign of... Uh, Ali McBeal, as a show... You grew up in the 90s, when? Once cast John Bon Jovi, and I think that works as a critique of the show. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> were they living on a prayer with that? I, I think bon they probably were. I hate Bon Jovi. I really hate that. I shit. It's, it's rock music for girls. <laughs> I remember somebody who, who worked for them really they, were talking, they were working on the tour with him here or something <laughs> and, and all the conversations with him were, were about like what outfit he was going to wear and stuff and it's like there's your badass rock and roll band he's very stylish <laughs> he's a twat <laughs> <laughs> anyway right anyway back to this film oh, I love this song I absolutely love this soundtrack but I really really love this song Bobby Womack's Across 110 yeah. It's classic, isn't it? It's, it's, it, 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 does, it describes like exploitation. It's of that genre, of that background, and it tells a story as well. Um, actually, it's it's on the sound, it's on the um, on the PA system on a music and the shop where I work, and it's just like, every time it comes on, I'm just like transported to like a, a different era. Um, so it make you want to go to an airport and just like and walk around there one some of money. Them, like, escalators. <laughs> well, she hadn't seen this film, so we don't know what era it was. It might just have some weird transformative effect where she becomes 50, Amish. Or, she becomes Amish and assumes like all technology. <laughs> Open up that um, silo English. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just her going to work, basically. It's split into two sections, really timed to the music. You've got her on the sort of travelator thing for about the first half of the song, and then the second half of the song, and I think this does cue in when Max first Caesar. If there's one thing she does really well, it's her walk. And we get that in the opening credits. She's got a very, very stylish walk, Pam Greer. And so it's about a three and a half minute song. And we don't we don't see her again until about twenty eight minutes in. Well things that you don't actually get bored of watching of that whole sequence, do you? you I think it's just like you, you like the song and you just sort of like just mesmerised yeah, I, by I it. mean if if I'm honest, if I could recut this I'd I'd be hoping to see Bobby Womack's twelve incher. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what do you mean? Tw- oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> I meant the twelve-inch version of the song. Do you? <laughs> the twelve-inch version? Were you talking about? I'm so used to Dave being dirty. That's all. Um, so <laughs> he means his cock. No. Um... I was waiting for you to say that. Yeah. So. Don't we get to like point the, the the quote that was on all the trailers or on all the trailers? Presented by Elmer Fudd. Or the, or the, um, or the vicar from... Yeah. Just, yeah. Before, the, just before the advert... Samuel L. Jackson. Um, just before they announced it was Wabbit season. <laughs> yeah, so we got, yeah. like, Samuel Will Jackson. Will you <laughs> They're watching Chicks Who Love Guns. Yeah. Which was also... Was Doesn't really little... Demi more. No, Debbie. No. The, the women are listed in the credits, and one of them is like an MD or something. Oh, it, right. is some, it is something Tarantino shot. 
just specifically yeah. this film. But chicks who love guns. Yeah. The, yeah. the most American product ever. It really is. All the chicks have fake tits as well, I think. So it is like the most American product ever. I don't, I, like you, obviously, it's like obviously it's something that he's just found and just stuck on. So we just talk about like the guns that's on display. It's like, well, you know, that's that's kind of what you need. That's kind of what that's kind of like what what you can get. That's what sells. I, I'm, I'm presuming he's recorded it. Because yeah. otherwise he'd be watching Teletubbies and going like, "There's something about guns on in a bit. Just hold, <laughs> stick with me." So yeah, it's something he's recorded, and he's got Robert De Niro there, who um, is not a massive presence in this film. Really, he's very quiet in all of his scenes. I kind of really like how he's just—he's very much like very schlubby, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it yeah, that's do- the right word. I mean, he, 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 his his presence does change somewhat. He kind of Bear like, in mind the previous year, Casino. Yeah, exactly. You know, completely different. Completely, yeah, totally different. Almost like a big. I mean, he's a guy who's just got out of prison, so he, he just he just he's, he strikes me as one of these like unusual guys who's just a bit a bit kind of like shy and a little bit kind of just like laid back and a little bit. He doesn't uh, say a lot, does he? To just just a little bit like passive. Just, just Jeremy Bass, but it's actually got unused quite... to society. Really, yeah. he's been sat in a cell. We find out later through uh, the loyal, Ray Nicolette loyal character. as well. Loyal. We find out through the late Ray Nicolette character later that they did time together twenty years before him and Ordell. Yeah. Um, and Ordell would have been relatively young then, so he, he was probably a bit of a mentor figure to him as well. So there, there would be that would throw a bit more pathos on what happens later in the film. There's a bit more of their backstory as you kind of go through the film as yeah. well. But yeah, the first half hour, I think I said about 45 minutes, the first half an hour of this film is just hanging around with them, really, isn't it? Mm. I, was doing the, I was trying to do a bit of um, research and he said it's pretty much it's like a hangout movie. You spend a lot more time hanging out with the characters. But I don't yeah. I don't think the, the plot either sort of... It's still... See, I think the film just like just takes its time slowly with the, with the characters. It doesn't feel like it's crammed. Not, not, it's not not doing anything. Yeah. It, it is still progressing, but the overwhelming feeling is we're just you know in their living room like chatting with them. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't like. I'm usually kind of always the first one to say, "Yeah, but it's too long." You know, you need to like cut cut so, some scenes out. But with films like this, I don't because the plot isn't so heavy. You know, it, it's it's the scenes just naturally just sort of just take the time. They're just like, yeah, they just they just take the time with the scene and not like you know overloading you with necessary subplots or. Or, or plot points it's just you know it's just taking its time so that's why it's as long as it is and yeah you, you know I, I, you get introduced to uh, Bridget Fonda's character and a bit of uh, feet porn yeah very pointing very, <laughs> very, very, sur- very surfer very surfer girl yeah she's kind of pretty good in this I mean Bridget Fonda at this point would have been about 33 didn't see a lot of her after this she's married to Danny Elfman now and I don't know if she works or whether she's just raising family or what but you don't see a lot of her anymore. But I really liked her in this. And it was, again, a little bit about, I guess, it's a bit like, not quite as much, but it would be a bit like putting a Brooke Shields in this role. A little bit America's sweetheart, and then you put her in there as a bit of a sort of drugged-up airhead. Yeah. Mm. little bit casting against type, but perfect casting. You couldn't have cast it any better. Yeah. Kind of like a little bit smarter than she lets out, but not really that smart. Not really that smart because she's a dope because she smokes. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and very much a wind-up merchant. So, yeah. yeah, I just it's one of those films as well. Like, you're one of those characters who you really think 
yes, you know, when they kind of when they meet their own using up, you know. So you really didn't get on with her then? Okay. I, no. <laughs> I think she was so annoying. I thought she'd be a little know it all. She can sod off. So. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Be- Becca's reaction as as Robert De Niro shoots shoots a woman yeah. in cold daylight. The only, oh, the only thing off. I would say is, look at the treatment Sharonda gets later in the film, uh, and Me- Melanie is on the same sort of spectrum, if you like, of treatment. Mm. She might be a bit gobbier and a bit more used to Ordell and a little bit more used to standing up yeah, for herself. Sharonda's very much more. Just she's... bear in mind, if she if the character is the same age as the actress, which is a big if. Then she's like early thirties. Sure. She might be a bit. She might be late twenties. Sharonda's a teenager. Yeah, she's like nineteen or something. She's or eighteen, sixteen, seventeen. But, but 18, yeah, he's, she's got much women, younger. he's got women all over the town that he fills with. You know, let's fill themselves with various different drugs and just basically mistreats them and yeah. uses them to take all the risks for him. It's not very she, nice. She is actually an abuse victim in its. She is. Yeah. In purest sense. Having said that, I can't disagree with you, Becca. She's an irritating as fuck. No, well, no, I didn't. You know, she was obviously all these. Basically, Ordell, he doesn't treat anybody with respect. He like he abuses everybody that he comes across. Um, yes, he I, 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 you know, Samuel Jackson does does play him brilliantly, but obviously he's not a good character. Um, and it's it's quite difficult, you know, to get somebody get get. It's quite difficult to get behind somebody like that, um, who, as we said, gets more monstrous as the film goes on. Um, but it's just one of those things. It's one of those characters you really kind of love to hate in that in that respect. Um, like the like Sharonda, for example. Like when well, we'll come to it. But like for example, when she meets up um, with Jackie, um, like she doesn't even look at you know. I kind of thought is she is she visually impaired. I, d- I don't mean that in a really offensive way, but you know she doesn't. She kind of looks down and she or she looks at the feet or she looks at the person next to her or she looks over. She doesn't actually look at you know. She's quite Shironda. shy. Yeah, sorry, that's what I meant, Sharonda. Um, I wasn't correcting you. I just didn't hear who you were referring to. You're on about that. Yeah. No, I couldn't remember. I think I was. No, but he refers to her in the bar. To he's talking to Lewis in the bar, which again I'm I'm linking the soundtrack to where it plays in it. That was the one Bill Withers song that played over that. Who are yes. you? And what is he to you? Plays over that bit, and he yes. says um, he says that he's, he's he outlines what women he's got and where they are, and he names Sharonda, and she's like 18 or 19, and he picked her up at like a bus stop coming in from like Georgia or somewhere and he put her somewhere like somewhere and claimed it was Hollywood. He's picked this really naive young girl who's terrified of everything and let her indulge herself with drugs. Cause by the time Max goes to see him later, that drugged up mess next to him on the sofa where he says, she doesn't even know you're here is Sharonda. And, and this is another one of his women, just like Melanie. This could be Melanie. If Melanie didn't stand up for herself. Yeah, he, he does mention that thing that she is older as well and kind of... Not as good as she used to be, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. But, you know, but she's just got like... But a that means like, he's a pig, isn't it? Because yeah. Samuel L. Jackson... He's like, yeah, but like she's white 40s. and he's kind of like laughing about it. Uh, she's, yeah. she, she's had it, you know. She's yeah. no good at sex and she's passed her best. Well, if she's playing literally the same age as the actress, she's 33, which is no age, and he will have been in his 40s. So it just shows what a pig he is, just like mm. getting them young and abusing them. But um, these things reveal themselves in multiple viewings, really. But um, yeah, so we, we, we understand he's a gun runner. We understand he kind of like buys them cheap, sells them expensive. Where, what else do we learn in this first half an hour? We get the Beaumont stuff, don't we? Yes. We get the first his- time... 
I think the one and only time I've seen Chris Tucker in anything where I didn't want to fucking, you know, stab my own eyes out and deafen myself. He isn't as annoying in Silver Linings. I haven't seen Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah. Well, I forgot he was in it, so he can't be. Yeah, but obviously he uh, the the po- he's the poster boy for irritating from his Fifth Element role. I can't watch that fucking film. <laughs> I literally can't watch that film because of him. It wasn't. I love a good, it. It wasn't, yeah, it's shit though, isn't it? <laughs> I know, it's, it's really bad. It's, it's my guilty I, pleasure. I, it I, really is. Yeah, no, no, I know, I, I, I know someone quite well who was exactly the same as you, Becca, that they actually don't think it's a good film, but they adore it. It's, it's, it's crap. Fair enough. It's, it's yeah, no, fair enough. You like, Gary Oldman is like the best you movie like villain. You like, but his bit is unfucking bearable in that oh, film. It's, it's awful. I can barely, I can't watch it. He's all right. He has the most fabulous hairdo and the most fabulous leopard, you know. Having a big hairshirt on your head is not a great hairdo. <laughs> no, it's not, but that's why it's so funny. I, I, I just kept thinking, if he just maybe, like, tone it down a little bit, he, you know. Yeah. At, at 60%, he'd probably be funny. He, 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 he could have been, like, he could have been similar to, like, Eddie Murphy or, like, maybe, like, second-tier yeah. Chris Rock. You know what I mean? He could have been, like... Because yeah, he still would have been fast talking, yeah. And given he does most of his own dialogue and threw some ad libs in here as well, it's mainly Terrence. Exactly. You think like the guy's got some ability, but he has to do everything at one hundred and fifty percent, and it's too much. Mm. But he was okay here. I have to say he's okay here. Yeah, he just yeah. But again, he's just like believe. You believe he's just like one of these like sort of fuck ups. He's just like constantly just like getting into trouble and getting arrested and shit. Yeah, he gets a phone call. When we're hanging out with sort of Ordell and all that in mm. his apartment, he gets a phone call from Beaumont. Uh, Beaumont has been arrested for drunk driving with, like, a weapon, a concealed weapon. So there, uh, because he'd already had charges from a machine gun felony from about three years before, mm. there is a risk that he could do up to ten years prison time so Ordell then goes to meet Max Cherry. At this point, that's all we know. Mm. We, we're clued in very quickly to what he, he what he's got in mind. But he goes to see um, Max Cherry, who's a bail bondsman. Which, to anyone listening in North America, that is a concept almost unique to you. We don't have such a thing here at all. No, I had to sort of. I was like, "What is that?" And I had to double check that I knew what it was. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's basically someone who just buys you out of prison. You you hire yeah. them to buy you out of prison, but they're but but, if... the, but they're also re- they're also required to ensure those persons. Are... They're a cross between like a guarantor and a bounty hunter. Mm. I was going to say it's more kind of a guarantor kind of side. That's yeah. what we, we're That's what we would call them. Yeah. But yeah, we, um, it's not something that that we do. We, we don't, have, we in don't this have it. We don't no. have it. I mean, the film tells us what it is, but. It's like in um, it's like in Beverly Hills Cop where they're going on about stolen bearer bonds. Mm. I mean, firstly, it was pronounced Barabonds in that film, so we didn't even know. I'd, I'd no I didn't know idea what it was. What they were on about. Um, but anyway, uh, so he goes to see Max Cherry because he doesn't want to um, go d- deal direct. He wants to go through him because he has this fear as a black man he'll be just drawn into something he doesn't need to be drawn in. And also, I don't think he wants his face shown at all. Well, yeah. Of- happened to Beaumont but he, he yeah he meets Max Cherry and we see Robert Forster for the first time I think Robert Forster is wonderful in this film he's the best thing in this film he's really good I think he's brilliant anyway he's just got such a lovely presence isn't he he's just um, yeah you just I, kind of it's delightful don't you 
cinematically, I think Tarantino sort of fell in love with Robert Forster's face because mm. there's a few shots in this film that are very, very sort of Sergio Leone. When they're in like the mall and stuff, you'll get very close in shots that that the very wide angle that that show kind of all the detail and all the years in that face, and it's very Sergio Leone. And I just think Tarantino clearly found this guy endlessly interesting to photograph. Sure, I, I think what makes him stand out for me is Tarantino usually usually characters kind of very much like hard rich men kind of. Or something, something that kind of cool or dark about him. Here, here, here. Got, obviously, he's a Bell's Bond, so you can you could kind of fit in that kind of hard man image. But he's just such a a sweet, nice guy, really. Yeah, you know, he's lovely. Um, yeah. and, but he's got years on him as well. I mean, he says at one point in the film he's fifty. I forget if he says fifty six or fifty eight. Mm. I think he says fifty eight, and the actor would have been fifty six at the time, something like that. Mm. Uh, maybe apparently, if you. We can find Bell Bonds people in the Philippines as well. I just quickly Googled. Yeah, no. I thought it was I interesting. Said, I, that's why I said almost unique, because I knew there was yeah, a, a, a former American colony. One. But again, um, I, I don't think it occurs to a country that's effectively a continent that the rest of the world does anything different. No. Um, we don't have it. But um, I just love this scene. The, the interplay between them is great, because Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson's fucking magnetic here, isn't he, as well? Yeah, yeah. You, just, you can't dig your eyes off him. So you instantly tell he's like working. He's, he's always like trying to fucking with him. Like sort of, he's reading him while sort of mentioning, throwing little comments about like the photos on the wall and things like that. You know. Yeah. Um, you know. It's when did of... you go? When did you go that fishing with that guy from the Dark Knight? And you can kind of always tell whether like Max Sherry kind of knows he's doing it, but just chooses to ignore him. Just kind of like, yeah. yeah. He actually says, I think he might say it on the second meeting. I can't remember because he goes back in about Jackie like mm. the next day, but we'll come with that. But he says something like, um, whatever it is you're doing, I'm guessing it's drugs. He said, but whatever you're doing, you seem to be getting away with it. So all power to you. Yeah. He's If you work in that industry long okay. enough, I, 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 I suppose it's a bit like lawyers. You, you must learn when not to ask questions. Mm. Um, so he's not asking. The money's been provided. It's his job to guarantee... Beaumont at court, uh, which which enables them to get Beaumont out. Um, and we never we don't actually see any of that, do we? The first thing we see Beaumont's no. at home getting high. Yeah, uh, and in Hollywood, in Hollywood, he does put very very. Um, he's always done this, Tarantino. Very very um, thorough about putting where we are. The city in, of so and so, the city of yeah. You've got Culver and all the rest of it, but yeah, this one is um, it, Beaumont lives in Hollywood. Again, it's it's not your typical Hollywood. It's, it's kind of very unglamorous. Is the word I want to use? Yeah, it's yeah. Like the seedy side uh, of Hollywood, the, the shit side of Hollywood. Yeah, but it, it feels very much like you know, just just that like literally the building stuff in that area as well. Yeah, uh, sort of. But uh, yeah, so he, he goes. But to, it's the act, it's the acting performance. He turns up. I don't mean the acting performance from Samuel L. Jackson. I mean the Ordell character mm. putting on an act of turning up and being like fucking delighted to see him and all, hey, we got you out and all that shit. Mm. And he knows entirely what he's going to be doing in the next five minutes. Well, that's just it. And he just tells you, oh, like, thickest pig shit this <laughs> um, Chris Tucker is really here because he kind of just goes along with it. He's just kind of, yeah, okay. You know, and the way he kind of like, like, like has to sort of like you know he's he's he isn't really appreciate the idea that I've just got you out of prison, 
and you're no, still... he's just like, well, I've got to go out now. Yeah, and you want me to go in a trunk. And, yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but it's almost like <laughs> it's funny thing though he's planning on killing him I kept thinking like well he has just bailed you out of fucking prison and you're like bitching about being in a, in a trunk for 10 minutes about doing something <laughs> for him yes it's like well he, well no is, wonder what's going to offer you if he was the smartest Jackie and he clued in that something was wrong then I would understand it but he's oblivious. He doesn't know he's in any danger at all. In which case, he is genuinely just saying, I can't be asked." <laughs> which makes you think, like, yeah, hold on, you better off just fucking offer him. <laughs> yeah, just get rid of him. <laughs> he says they've got to go somewhere, and what they're going to do is pop the trunk, and he's going to point a gun, yeah. and it's going to be this big element of surprise thing. I think he says some Chinese guys or something. Yeah. Um, what he actually does is get in the car, put some music on, uh, the music he puts on is Strawberry Letter 23 by the Brothers Johnson, which is another really cracking song on the soundtrack. You, you keep Drives... hearing songs, you think, oh, I've heard this before. This has been like. Yeah, no, I had to look them all up today. And I mean, I've had the soundtrack for years and I've listened to it time and again. There's only one song on the soundtrack that's a mm. bum note for me, and I'll, I'll come to it, but it, that's just me. That's just personal taste. And he just takes um, his time as well. Like It's like a good like, yeah, minute or so before. Yeah, takes ages putting his driving gloves on and stuff. Checks his gun, sort of like looks back, smirks a little bit, just go, yep, yeah, and then just kind of drives around the block somewhere discreet. Drives it into kind of a disused field. Something's been knocked down there, you know what mm. I mean? That might have been a factory 10 years before, but now it's disused ground. Uh, gets out of the car, opens the trunk about halfway and just shoots him twice yeah and that's it's that quite, it's quite it's done like quite a bold-faced way isn't it it kind of um you see the, the camera kind of pans up and you kind of it's done from like a distance so it's kind one of, shot yeah it's, it's all in a single shot shot i can't speak all in a single shot that could be a negative on a podcast can't it generally well, if, you can't spork. Yeah, <laughs> if you can't spork <laughs> if you can't spork look immune to you yeah um, and then he goes and shows uh, Lewis the body. <laughs> which is... Which yeah, I, I look at this. Yeah, I mean, I, I did wonder whether this is kind of his mild way of like saying, of saying, don't fuck with me. But yeah. it kind of like... That's well, what it is. That's yeah. entirely what it is. It's don't basically saying if you get caught, you're going to be offered a deal. Uh, that deal will involve squealing about me, so don't get caught because this is what happened to you. I was quite surprised that when, well, not surprised, but disappointed, when he opened up the opened up the trunk, opened up the boot, um, there wasn't like a glowing orange light. That would be weird, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be weird, but I just never thought, oh, that's a bit strange. Because then that would imply, in the Tarantino universe, corpses give off that glow, which would mean in Pulp Fiction that briefcase had like a gerbil in it or something <laughs> a gerbil. and died. No, 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 it would have been like, what's in the briefcase, Chris Tucker? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Bit small for Chris Tucker, isn't it? Chris oh, right. Well, just Chris Tuck then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris tucked in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh dear. <laughs> but this is this is the key point of all of this, and I don't know how it's presented in the book. I keep saying I'll read it one day. Well, it's been over twenty years now since I've read. It's been nearly twenty years actually since I saw this film, and I haven't read it yet. So the chances are I won't. But this is. Um, this is a, an accelerated look at what at the danger Jackie is in, because this all of this it's he's just up. done the same thing. He's been he's been arrested, mm. working for Ordell. He's been threatened with all sorts of charges. 
that he will play to get out of and that it will involve talking about Ordell. Therefore, Ordell has to bump him off. That is exactly the same situation as Jackie's in 24 hours later. Yeah. And uh, we're just Jackie now, like, soon after, basically straight after that, aren't we? Yeah, Jackie's coming in from... Uh, <clears throat> she's on Mexican route, isn't she? She literally flies mm. from LAX to... I forget the name of the airport, but it's sort of some way down in Mexico. And that's the only route she can get, because partly... I would think it's partly the, the criminal past. Frankly, I would think it's partly ageism as well. It's partly the fact she's like 44 now. She's not a little dolly bird. Um, so I think there's some of that. And she's coming in and she's approached by, I always want to call him Buck. <laughs> he's not called Buck. Yeah. What's he called? Mark. Mark Dargas he's called in this. Michael Bowen's character. Um, and he's partnered by Michael Keaton as a character called Ray Nicolette. That name I can always remember because, again, we used in... Um, and not only that, Michael Keaton makes every film about ten percent better. I I keep, uh, I keep expecting the the scene where he sits down with uh, Dennis Ferrara and he sort of like with, with his like FBI t shirt on. Or something. <laughs> well, you've got a jacket that says undercover. <laughs> like, yeah, really, you can just see what a smart author Elmore Leonard yeah. must have been. We haven't read them, but there's so much of the same um, sensibility about him and Tarantino from everything I'm seeing. Um, but she's been pulled over to to basically be searched because she's brought in fifty grand, yeah. And you're only allowed to bring up in up to ten before you have to declare it. So it's a customs thing. What's the body they work for? Because it's not the FBI, is it? It's ATF. But I don't know what the ATF is. Air travel. Don't I don't. Know. I don't know. Something. I don't know. Oh, right, I'm looking it up. It's the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms. Firearms. That was it. Okay, so I should know that with my references to be they, oh. they, well. You didn't get you didn't gun run while you were over there, Becca. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, it didn't well, come well, up unless this is a new revelation. <laughs> about and, Becca. And, and I, sort of dealt I, I didn't take that module. <laughs> yeah. I only, I only let off some little explosives. Um, yeah, so they, they only, they, only got we only got drunk and underage and got our uh, got our house. What House kind of crazy in bitch are you? <laughs> we didn't have any explosives or do any gun running. We only, only got the police over because there was a lot of underage drinkers. I bet Becca was behind it all, though. Uh... <laughs> yeah, but by their standards, Becca would come off as really wild, I reckon. Like, they, they, <laughs> don't do, they don't do like drinking like we do. Yeah. Like, they do no, they the, don't. Plus each door, plus each door. Right plus each state is different well. If you have three drinks, yeah. like, ooh, steady on. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I, I told you my story of what happened, didn't I? No. Have I told you on a previous podcast? I don't know. I didn't seem to remember telling you. Wait. Not about not about the police and drinking and stuff. No. Oh no. Well, we went basically when I was studying abroad in America. Um, we went to a um like foreign exchange students' house party. Um, and obviously because there were a lot of students there who were under twenty-one, um, people got some drinks in, um, and it kind of it was one of those things where like. But it's before in the days of Facebook where people were like, oh, house party, and then millions of people turn up. A similar sort of thing happens. Like, the, the word got round that it was the house party. I think it was like a statesman house party. Um, and just literally lots of lots of us foreign exchange students went along. Um, a lot of us were kind of 21 or under, um, had some drinks, and then all of a sudden the police turned up. So a bunch of us went and hid in the bathroom, and we all got found out. Um, and unfortunately, our host was left with a massive fine, which we all had to pay. 
What do you call a massive fine? Um, like thousands of dollars. Really? Yeah. Fucking well, that, that was for, that was back in the day. This was probably two thousand. I, I cannot imagine not being able to drink till twenty-one. It just seems like unbelievably late in life. No, I think now, now like here in the UK, you kind of get, is it like it's obviously eighteen is the legal age, but is it like yeah. check twenty-five or something? I can't remember. I had to do this a couple yeah, of but years. That's ago. only if you. That's only if you look younger. None of that existed when I was like getting to of age. No. Basically, basically, I didn't get ID'd after the age of thirteen. Oh, fuck it, hell. Lucky you. Well, I looked older anyway. But I see. Like, I did now. I'm considerably older than eighteen. Thirteen or fourteen on, I was all right. Fucking hell, oh. I'm not sounding good there, am I? <laughs> um, but you obviously have very mature looks, Dave. I mean, like, at seventeen, I was still pushing it. I was like, shit, I still no, look right. Like, I, the only problem is I had to pay full price for the cinema from about thirteen as well. Was, yeah, it's a pain, isn't it? So. Um, fact about twelve. What, yeah. so you, what, you couldn't even pull through? No, I'm serious, I'm younger. <laughs> well, I couldn't, no, no, exactly, I could get into everything, but like, so with, with I, I'd go into the film when I was about 12, try and pay the kids amount, they wouldn't let me. Oh, oh no. Yeah, but Because well, obviously, because it's only 15, isn't oh, well, it? I sp- I sp- oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I suppose you could walk into like a Pulp Fiction or something and then like say, can I have a junior's ticket? No, no, I mean, child ticket. Yeah, I'm not saying I necessarily would have got into an 18, but they start charging the adult fare at 15. Or yeah. they did back then. Um, so yeah, basically, I could do whatever I wanted from about thirty, uh, without thousands of pounds worth of fines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So where are we? They know to search her, don't they? They know to search her. Yeah. It's it, been it, set up to. It, it's one of. Those, it's been profiled. Yeah. I, it's one of those clear sort Not of. Official profile. There's. They've been tipped. Yeah, they've been tipped gone. off. And, and you, you feel she kind of knows that. Like at first, she's a little bit. Well, what if I say she's like working it, but then once they kind of break it down for her, she's like, yeah, it's like a cigarette, just waiting for it, pretty much. She's like, yeah, this is how it's going to go down. <laughs> yeah. Which which, which, which I kind of like. Again, you just kind of just read, read off people in, in, in this film. Yeah, absolutely. I've never really understood to what purpose, because Ordell can still use her. Yeah. Um, but it does appear Ordell has set her up here. It will get her arrested. It, whether he wants to replace her with someone younger, it's effectively like an ongoing, like effectively restructuring of what he's doing. Mm. Like he's constantly got different women coming into his life and things like that. It could well have been. Yeah. But you think you've got a loyal person working on that route for you without any complaint whatsoever to bolster unmarried so she's bolstered there's no other like salary coming in so she's using it to bolster a terrible salary i mean i know it's 20 years ago but she's on sixteen thousand. she's told which is just piss poor yeah um and so why would you i'm not i've never quite understood why ordell chose to effectively terminate that but he did anyway because he's a bastard probably but they put the drugs in. They put the, the the drugs, the money she knew about the drugs she did not. He put that in, or one of his associates in Mexico put mm. that in as as a gift. But you know that the implication is clear, and that's she's pulled over for that. So she's now caught with, and she's got a criminal past. So there's now talk mm. of a couple of years jail time. Yeah. Uh, and then so yeah, she basically she goes in, she gets interrogated by. Mr. Keaton and Buck, and <laughs> I don't know. You rape someone in a coma once, and you're tired forever. <laughs> well, not just someone. 
The con- no, I mean, the, the constant book, book references is he plays um, Uma Thurman's um, nurse in Kill Bill Volume yes. 1. Um, and he's basically... Um, I role model. Raping her. Yeah. Yeah. Chris went into nursing soon afterwards. That's why. <laughs> he, can, he can offer a tissue at distance in all distances <laughs> of nursing. His name is Chris. It's, it's a really, to... it's a grim sequence. I don't actually don't want to make too much fun of it. No. It's a really grim sequence next week. It yeah. is, unfortunately. Um, that is, yeah, but quite grim. having said that, the world we live in, I wouldn't rule that out as a very as a possibility in that scenario. So that, that she's now on the hook for that. We do see her go to court, um, and she's uh, the judge is Sid Haig. He's another sort of uh, black exploitation era kind of. Friend. Shit, I thought it was. I was like, yeah. is that the is that the guys that are on them Rob, Rob Zombie films now? I was like, ah, oh, I don't know if it is or not. But yeah, yeah. House of a Thousand Corpses yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, I haven't seen Bone Tomahawk, but I've, I did hear he was in that. Yes. Um, but I'm, I'm actually, I do have his filmography up now. I didn't when I started talking, but I'm looking at it now. But we're we're looking back again. We're looking sixties and seventies for the for the things that drew Tarantino to him, obviously. Mm. Um, but yes, he he seems to take some pity on her, doesn't he? Yeah, the judge. Just a bit. But it doesn't seem a sexual thing. It just seems like no, you seem pretty decent. He just looks at her and sees she's a little bit nervy and trying to be proud. I, says, I, I yeah, I guess you kind of read it when it's like, especially when you're in that job, you, you know who's kind of who's the career criminal and yeah. who's not. Yeah, he was in Foxy Brown. He was in uh, the Shaft TV series. He's in Coffee, which I've seen. Um, yeah, he's been in loads of stuff. The Big Bird Cage. That's another Pam Grier film. Diamonds Are Forever. He was a slumbering <laughs> contendant. I don't remember that. Um, yeah, okay. I guess we'll have to watch it again, Dave. And. It's always a pleasure. Never a chore. Because they want to set bail at $25,000, and he sets it at ten. So, yeah, um, at the same time, Ordell goes back to um, Max to basically say, shift that money over to this woman. Yeah. And he, and he, he tries to make it sound like it's urgent because he cares for her. You know, it's... Oh, yeah, he talks about he talks in every case about what a, a sort of bum rap these people have got and how they're mm. being fitted up for things they did probably did years ago sort of thing, maybe. Um, he needs this woman out so he can get rid of her. So Max goes to pick her up. Yeah. But we actually see him pick her up before. The implication is he probably picked up Beaumont as well mm. or sent Winston from Winston, the Dark Knight prisoner, to go and get him. <laughs> Um, but we actually see him go to get her now, and it's just one of my favourite bits of the film. And it because I don't think I, I I almost think younger actors couldn't have done this. No. There's a there's a life experience in the way they are around each other, mm. and that fucking song "Natural High" is beautiful. It's perfect, isn't it? It's actually perfect. Well, the lyrics are perfect as well, actually. But it's just a beautiful song. Sure. And she walks out silhouetted. Not tarted up at all there's a complete lack of vanity in her performance as well which is another plus for sort of casting her and then he takes her to a bar doesn't he yeah they have they have a drink together which is kind of unusual i i I guess it's kind of like a first date kind of thing yeah it is kind of but he immediately like he's offering to help her isn't he Mm. he's offering offering her like his advice and experience and stuff and again i'm sure it's because he is beguiled and she's you know his chosen gender and all the rest of it but 
it doesn't come off sleazy at all, does it? No, 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 def- definitely. I mean, that's that's the thing I like about the performance. It's kind of smitten. He, you know, he, he he does generally. You do generally it's, feel it, like it's not. It's not aroused. It's no. just yeah. It's just like oh, I like you, but I'm gonna be like kind of sort of just kind of quite Ooh, passive I and like to kiss her. <laughs> While, while, yeah, while uh, rubbing his legs. <laughs> the only thing that, one of the things that dates this film, and there isn't a lot, is the smoking. They're all smoking in, like, everywhere. I, 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 I thought that. They I, smoke I, so much in this film. It's really weird to see, because you don't I, often see it now, unless it's a period piece. I actually, Obviously, it's been banned. Sorry. Yeah. No, I actually thought of Dave. I think it's supposed to be driving Dave wild. I was thinking, of, fucking, I love a cigarette now. Yeah, it's been a... Bear in mind, I gave up years ago. It's something in films where they do it. I, I can't think of... Did, Atomic did, Blonde did, was one. Did, Atomic did, Blonde was a nightmare. They smoke all the time, especially when it's like at a bar with a drink. You think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he takes her He takes her home, as in takes, just drops her home. Hmm. Um, and Ordell's waiting there, unseen, not in the house, but outside the hmm. house. Max drives off. Now, we, all of this has been dropped. We see that he had a gun in his glove compartment. Mm. Uh, it turns out, we find out, if, you were, if we were commentating on this, I would ruin it ahead of time. But obviously, in a review, it's a bit different. She's taken that gun. Yeah. And she's um, taken that gun because she knows Odell's going to be right there. And it's kind of like revealed at the same time, like... Max finds out as soon as it's revealed in the film that she has a gun on um, on Samuel Jackson. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of like works quite sort of timely as well, which is kind of cool. Uh, but the whole whole scene when Samuel Jackson knocks in and he's just creepy and intimidating. He is well. really creepy. He's kind of scary in this film. They've, they've styled him well, and Samuel L. Jackson was pretty hands-on about that as well, getting involved in the stylings. Later, when his hair is down. When, he, when he's really gone devilish late in the film, that was his choice. Um, but I, I like the fact that she held the gun to his dick as well. Mm. Yeah. Becca's fault. Becca was quite enthusiastic <laughs> about that too. Dick, yes. think, Oh, bloody hell, really? I just... It's in dialogue as well. It's really great. Mm. It's really just great, isn't it? Go back to so business-like straight away. It's like, yeah, oh, she does. I'll, don't take I'll, no I'll shit. hold it against you. It's all right. <laughs> what are we you don't gonna... take no shit. <laughs> It's like, so what do you expect? Like, you sort of, you turn the lights off, put off, uh, subtly put your hands around her throat. And what do you think you like, what you're trying to do? You know, it's just weird. But yeah, I liked how it's that, it's that world of, that they live in. It's just like, well, it's just pure business, isn't it now? So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the whole point now becomes, she's now got to play both sides. And I love that about this film because mm. she does it very clear headedly. Uh, we do see some fear from her, although it's not a dominant character trait because late in the film, Ordell is surprised when she, he's told she's scared. But the FBI, or the ATF, the cops, need <laughs> need from her something on Ordell if she's going to be able mm. to continue to work and avoid jail. And she does yeah. need a passport and to be able to travel because obviously it's outside of her country. Yeah. So all of that is in play. But at the same time, Ordell's got to be satisfied she's got some sort of plan that benefits him because he's got to be dissuaded from killing her. So she has to admit she's in bed with the cops 
but make it that it's all part of this grand plan to get his money back out. Yeah. yeah. It's really pretty good. So you can tell you probably guess all Dell probably just thinks I'll just kill her as soon as I get money. Or I'll figure I'll figure that out once I get money. Yeah. Um and she, yeah, so she, she's she's planning on screwing Odell, or you know, knowing that the cops really wouldn't give a shit about the money so long as they got Odell, um, and then she can just basically run off essentially. Uh, That's the gist. And yeah. but the other thing is the scale, the scale of it. Not only is this a smaller story, but we're not talking about like ten million dollars. We're talking about five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, it's half a million, isn't it? Yeah. It's a little over half a million because there's like about 50 grand on top of that. Hmm. It's enough to retire on, particularly given their ages. They're kind of late in middle age. She's what they, yeah, they, he, they need him. They need to basically mark some of that money and then catch him with it. So they need, her, they need to let her get that money out of Mexico for him from guns and all the rest of it. Hmm. And he, yeah, but she, she is openly telling them, about, telling the police about Ordell. And she's telling Ordell that she's telling the police about Ordell. And it's he qu- panics. It, it's quite, it's quite drink, complex, he, isn't it? When they go for that drink and she goes, what are you telling them about me for? <laughs> well, they, they know, they know who you are. Yeah. They know I'm seeing you because they know I work for you. Yeah. Oh, really great. Yeah. It, it's just kind of really smart sort of. Well, I, I, yeah, it's just really good, really, really smart, smartly uh, scripted, really, really well performed as well. Um, I, the other thing is the next, uh, the next morning after the first incident with Odell, uh, Max Cherry, yeah, he, go, he goes back. Max Cherry goes back for his gun, um, and it's that scene I was referring to about their life experience being brought to bear. The two of them sat together a bit world weary in that apartment where, mm. while the Delphonics plays, which then plays all the way through the film because. Mm. That becomes the, that I don't think he's obsessed, but he's certainly deeply attracted to her, and he goes and buys himself a tape of it and all the rest of it, which is the other dated bit in the film: the smoking and the fact that there's a big section of tapes in the store. <laughs> um, you know, that was people... amazing when he goes into the record shop. I was like, oh my god! I, it's one of those moments where, like, if you've got somebody younger watching with you, you're like, this is what's called a record shop or well it's, you know. more, well it's more the fact that he says to her but you can't buy new stuff on vinyl now which of course now you can but yeah, you can't exactly. and then he goes I, and buys the tape which now I had the same can. thought like, no ironically you can 20 years later yeah. you can it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like the video like video stores and scene in uh, in films now you know you've got like blockbusters and, it, and like, things, like things like that it's like what the hell oh my god yeah, yeah. it's just literally a complete error it's like I, I, I've sort of got really pangs of nostalgia it's like I really miss going to the, like HMV or Virgin or NBC back in the day I don't miss it at all and I really don't I really do it's just like yeah. oh, I just don't miss it I can you know I can buy things virtually yeah, anywhere like that anymore well, apart with, obviously HMV in Southampton but just locally like in Salisbury or anywhere but there, there's a reason like they didn't survive and it's I know, I know. they cannot compete I know mind you the last time I went in like an HMV I made a bit of a fool of myself because <laughs> oh, right, I, I went over to the like the computer game section. All oh, right. And they had like the little demonstration games and stuff. Cool. So where you could play a game for a while, and they had this really kiddie kind of like almost Formula One game, but it was like a little kart Mario Kart version of it. Right. Clearly aimed at like five year olds, you know what I mean? So I pick up the controller and I'm playing this and I'm having a grand old time. I'm there for about ten minutes. 
And I think I can was, see where this is going. But there were two things I hadn't noticed. Firstly, there was a five-year-old beside me patiently waiting for his turn. So there's a, there's like a thirty a then thirty-five-year-old man stopping a five-year-old playing a game for five-year-olds. And the second thing was, I wasn't aware that if I looked up above me, there was a fucking massive screen showing what I was playing. <laughs> so not, not only HMV, but most of this fucking shopping centre could say that, see that this 35-year-old man stopping was blocking, was stopping a five-year-old playing a game while he stood there playing some five-year-old version of Mario Kart. <laughs> um, not my finest hour. Ah, uh, yeah, you're fine, fine Dave. Though. You have a right to play that game as much as anyone else. Yes, there's no age limit on that game. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, um, where do we go from there? So, yeah, he comes back. He's definitely still attracted to her. They just talk a little bit about their history. And she talks about, they just talk, he talks a bit about hair loss and what he did about that. But I just love all this. Yeah, I, I like I like the, the line, I've got a washed up prison out, out, out off me. We just, yeah. I think we, I think we, we'd all kind of feel that like that. Only whenever we like, bit like sort of stay the night in our own clothes or whatever, or that that kind of that that extra stench we have. Just all, even if it's not really there, we just feel stale. Yeah. So the plan now becomes that they're going to smuggle in this money, and they're going to do it in sort of mm-hmm. they're going to do like a dry run, which is going to be about ten grand, and then they're going to refine that and do the full version. And it's about bringing the money in disguising it somehow and then very surreptitiously handing it off to somebody at this shopping centre somewhere. And hopefully, if the police are watching, it will take them to Ordell. Is there anything between where we are now and that first dry run? Apart from the strangest sex scene I've ever seen outside of Never Say Never Again. It's, like, it's a very unsexy sex scene, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I probably, I probably only went through like one tissue. <laughs> well, it just kind of just cuts to you know uh, De Niro. Just, just cuts to they're finished. Yeah, yeah. But the way he's clinging onto her like a limpet, it's weird. Yeah, it's not particularly erotic. But yeah, the, I think we go, we get pretty much to the dry run fairly quickly, don't we? Yeah. Um, and there's lots of other things we missed, like one of uh, is the, the the house Lewis is staying at, where that black woman just performs the Supremes for him all the time. <laughs> it's just a reaction when like he puts the uh, what you call around his neck, and he's just mm. like he's just like. Yeah. They the other thing that I don't always pick up, although I know it, is obviously it's over half a million that's coming in, but the authorities think it's a sting for fifty grand. They aren't looking for the other half a million, which is kind of interesting as well. But the 10 grand run is when we first meet um, Sharonda. Yeah. Because they bring in some money, go to the food court. It's all hidden amongst, you know, Mm. a a fashion bag, really. Fashion store bag. But she hands it off to somebody else, doesn't she? Yeah. Which really pisses Jackie off because there's Ordell's changed the plan without telling her. Well, it just leads like in, you know, you would be, be like, oh, shit, if he changes the plan on, on it's game night. It's quite an important plan as well, isn't it? They're being put in place. You know, you, you would like, shit, well, I thought, you know, this could go terribly wrong if he changes the fucking plan uh, yeah. on me. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it, 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 it works well enough. I mean, like, you know, Max is there observing, uh, takes note. 
doesn't isn't isn't the isn't the woman who got the money is that the, uh, the one who Max follows is that or takes note of is that the one who ends up just running off? I don't know is the honest answer. I really don't I know. I remember. I don't know who she is actually. Yeah. Or, or, or I'm not saying I've never known. I'm, I'm sure because I've been watching this over like a 20 year period, so you, you forget things and you for, you know mm. don't notice, and it's been a while since you did notice. But I picked up Sharonda was the woman he was talking about in the bar to Lewis. Yeah, sure. Um, he's not. They, he also t- that was after they'd had sex because he said. Lewis sort of told him and he wasn't bothered about it. He was like, I don't care, I've got women everywhere, you know, and she's she likes sex, she's rubbish at it, but whatever. Uh, but he tells her about Sharonda, and when we see Sharonda, she doesn't look like she's fed properly because she really rips into the fast food that's provided for her. This is the first sort of sign that Ordell is more than just a normal criminal in this genre of films. He's quite a cruel man. But the gist is the gist is the food the the food court is where they hand off the money. They change the plan for the full version, which is coming up in a minute. And they do like basically switch through the bags, uh, and then yeah, yeah. we get to the full version fairly quickly. Mm. Uh, the, the full version is where they they do it for real. She's bringing in the half a million. The FBI are expecting to to do fifty thousand. They mark the bills and all the rest of it. Jackie puts it in a bag with a load of books, really. She hides. She puts puts 40 grand in there. Takes out an extra 10 that she's going to give to Melanie, which tends to, which has a purpose that we don't realise at this point. No, I think that's quite She clever. hides it. It's actually so she'll be caught on that and it will back up the story. Mm. She hides a load of books under it. Puts some Thinking beach ahead, isn't she? That's really good. Uh, the rest of it is in her flight bag, but no one's looking for that. And the whole point is they're just going to swap this bag and they're going to do it. The police still think it's going to be at the food court, but she's agreed with Ordell it's going to be in the changing rooms. Now, there's very few places there wouldn't be cameras in a shopping centre. A women's changing rooms will be one of them. Mm. The only thing is, though, you still would have footage of people coming and going. Yeah. And acts going in there and stuff like that. I think there are actually holes in this if you think about it. I mean, I joined, I thought of that, uh, and I I did think maybe because of the the time the film was made as well. Do, does do they have security cameras everywhere? And then I don't know. I, do, I don't know, but you know, considering say... it's like quite a, you know a high um well, high for example, her story. Her story is we're going to see this four times, three yeah. times. But the gist is. Um, all right. The run of it is we see Jackie's version of things first to Randy Crawford's Street Life, uh, Street Life. which they've tied perfectly. He recut that scene to that music. So she yeah, it there. works really well. Uh, it's a great song. It, need, it nearly went on the trailer, and it might still do if the first choice gets like blocked, but Natural High's better. But anyway, um, they... So the first is from her perspective, which she goes into this store, with, or she flies in, She's got everything with her. She goes into the mall, drives to the mall, goes in there, goes up to this shopping, uh, to the women's fashion area, tries on a suit, comes out, says she's going to buy it, goes back into the changing room. Melanie turns up, approaching from the wrong side. That's a continuity error, but okay. Um, yeah, I did notice that. I was thinking, hold on a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, she's walking from the side the wall's on. Yeah. Uh, but they, 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 they swap bags. That's it. They walk off. The second version we see is Lewis and Melanie. Melanie. 
which is the same story other other than he can't. They all arrive at the mall at four ten exactly, four twelve. Sorry, um, in the Melanie version of the story, they're nearly late because Lewis can, just can't get this woman moving. She's like, you know, I'm in a minute and in the bathroom and playing music too loud and you know just doing everything she can to annoy him. And we see all that, and then they leave with the bag, and Lewis gets so annoyed he shoots her twice in the parking lot. The third version of the story we see is is uh, Max Cherry turning up, and he actually goes in, uh, and we see that he takes the bag that's got all the money in it. What mm-hmm. she's done is given the version of the bag, her version of the bag, to Melanie, taken her bag back, and then swapped, decanted all the money into it effectively. So then Max walks out with what looks like just a left bag of towels. But the thing is, her version of the story is that Melanie turned up, just stole her bag and run off. Mm. But there's going to be CCTV footage of Melanie approaching with a bag. So it's clear there has been a swaparoo. You've got Max Cherry there who walks out with another bag. So we know there were two of them. I think there's, there's holes in this, but it's only if you think about it. Yeah, you're right. There are, there are holes in it. Yeah, I, I, you don't want to think about I it mean, too much. Of noise. Yeah. I mean, it depends. I forget now. Do they actually reference security cameras? No, not at all. No, I don't think they do. No. It could just be that that they that there's no actual security cameras and they're relying on like police. There won't be any the in the changing and... rooms. Yeah. So all the swapping and her decanting money and all the rest of it. Yes, that works. So in terms in terms of you going on like a police observation and witness, maybe like. They just won't pick up on it, or it won't stand in court. Whatever evidence, and the... well, hang on a minute. What you do is you say, well, first off, they would the police, or I keep calling them the police. They're a federal yeah. bureau. But the, 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 the authorities, police, the police will, the authorities will ask that, um, will interview people as well. So they will call yeah. up video footage of Melanie turning up with Lewis, both of whom were later found dead anyway. Um, because Lewis is is killed by Ordell in a while, we'll come on to that. They both stood within about eight feet of Max Cherry at one point, who is would be known to them mainly because he works in their industry. He's a bail bondsman. He's, he was at court. Mm. He took you know, and so on. Um, you will have seen Melanie arrive with a bag and leave with a bag. So that doesn't imply she's turned up and stolen a bag. She's either walked in with a bag and left with the same one, or it's there's been a swaparoo, which is what they were expecting. You've then got moments later, Max Cherry walking in and walking out with an identical bag. They will interview the clerk, who will tell them all of this. Um, yeah, there's holes in this, huge holes in this. But I, I guess the meaning, like once the police have got Ordell, that they won't care that much. I guess that's that, the one. That's the one. Get out. Would yeah. they even look? And of course, they don't know this half a million. They only mm. need to find. That's probably the only real get out. That a they probably won't be looking, but also they'll, they'll they they find Melanie with ten grand on them, which means they've only lost about thirty or forty after that point. Yeah, which is not the crime half a million pounds is or half a million dollars is. So I guess. Yeah. So. But the moment yeah. that it's quite a tale of a scene with um, Ordell and um, Lewis. Bloody hell. Yeah. So um, with the way Lewis is with Melanie, uh, I, I always pick this kind of like 
because once he's slept with her and then and then talked to Odell about it, she's kind of you know he's he's kind of like you know. But you don't trust her. Why would you just have someone? You know, he always like completely just like dislikes her from then on in. Now, now he finds out what how unreliable she is. And then yeah. when it comes to a job, she is unreliable, and he's constantly like getting for fuck's sake. You know, this is where it's like nasty side comes out. There's an element of she gets under your skin over time yeah, as yeah. well. And the first couple of times she met him, she's offering him a drink and offering him a bong and all the rest of it. And over time, you just see she's really lazy. Yeah. She's really late. She's really irritating. She's really self-centered. She's a stoner. Uh, that's got really nothing to do with anything, really. It's not that her being a stoner is not her problem in this film at all. No. It, it, I mean, when she's in the car, like being really irritating over the music, that's not stoner behavior. When she's it's mocking him, that's not. Yeah, she's just irritating. She, she's, she's a wind-up merchant. She's yeah, just that's what constantly... it is. She's a wind-up. Yeah. Um. No, you can really see it right, right up to the other last bits where she's like, Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. Shut up, <laughs> and actually, I was kind of a bit relieved when he shot her, which I, I don't know if that's meant to be the response. <laughs> I don't know that we're supposed to think that. But, but I was like, but, thank you for doing my editing. Even though he's like threatening to like sort of mock her the fuck out, you know, he's still kind of like, it's, it's, it's almost like a guy with like severe anger management, but trying to suppress it. He's trying so hard. It's like... It's like okay, I'm I'm like I'm, I'm really into my sort of my yoga and meditation now, so I'm just trying to like make sure I present this anger. Yeah. You, but you're really challenging us. <laughs> He's like, no, bang, shoots her. He'll, he'll... Of course, he then he then drives off to meet Ordell. Mm. And the moment where Ord- I really, the only time in this film I really felt for Lewis was when Ordell picked that bag up and started going through it. And you're gonna go. He's just had to reveal he's killed her. He's just had to reveal all these things. It, look, it, look, it, it, it looks like maybe they're both in on it and he's like t- spinning like a story. It's that... just that moment of Ordell doesn't know what we know yet. We mm. know he's about to and this will spell curtains for Lewis. That's a, quite a moment. And Ordell as well kind of puts his head on his hands for a moment and like closes his eyes and thinks. And it's almost like it's there he really becomes a monster. From then on in the rest of the film, all bets are off because he has to kill his mentor <clears> at this point. Or at least his old prison yeah. body. I, you know, you don't realise it, but in films you don't often see people think. You no, know, you don't. you don't often, you don't often have a scene where it just sort of just lingers on a person's fate as they just figure no. shit out. We see it a lot. Yeah, in that was quite. That was really interesting. I think we see it a lot from Max as well. Mm. We do. Yeah, he spends a lot of his time thinking. And it's like, right, okay, he's like, he's 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 figured out. <coughs> like, Pull over. Let me think. Mm. You know, when he sort of checks that, checks the gun. You know, he's just positions quite cleverly, so it was obviously to, like gets himself ready for it. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have to move. Yeah, and he's just like, hmm. And then he disappears into like, they're all quite calm. He disappears into mm-hmm. like a titty bar or something and never comes out again. It's like they, they can't find him. He's climbed out a window or something. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Jackie, and this is probably her best scene in the film because <clears throat> she's got to summon up genuine indignation, even though she has just pulled the wall over all their eyes. She's got when she's being interviewed by Ray here, <clears throat> she ends up with like tears in her eyes, and you're going, "Well, you've got no right, really, because he's absolutely justified." But she's able to sum up genuine indignation and and put on that sort of level of panic and upset. Well, there is a little the things. It's a wall of things. It's like yes, she has to portray someone, but also at the same time, um, she is like shit. Odell's the, the, the plan hasn't gone on, you know. 
yeah. Odell's about the plan hasn't gone to plan because Odell's still around. So shit, this is gonna this uh, my life's still I have to figure something out now because my life's in danger now, uh, and I can't yeah. just can't rely on the cops now to protect me because otherwise it'll just no. We're, we're now in a, we're now in a position where have, she's got to keep the cops on side because mm-hmm. Odell is now after her because it can only be she stole the money. She knows she, he knows Max Cherry was involved because Lewis was like, "Hey, guess who we saw there?" Hmm. I didn't think anything of it, but Max Cherry. He knows he's in love, but he can see he's got eyes. He knows that like hmm. Max has feelings for her. Well, they they, they, they spot him at the the mall, don't they? You know, when the, when the first run. yeah, he he's like, "What oh, the fuck yeah. is this shit?" Well, and of course, later one. when he gets yeah. in his car and the Delphonics plays, it's like, "God, you've even got like love music about her." <laughs> yeah. I, I really love that. He's an absolute monster from now on. Um, he gets... Uh, it's not much left now. He, he gets... He makes Max... He calls Max. Mm. And it's really... Um, that's a, quite a creepy shot because it's a behind shot at the top of a sofa in silhouette with him on the phone with his hair spread out. Mm. It's kind of cool. But he calls Max and Max really plays like a straight bat here. He's really like, yeah, I owe you 10 grand because he still owed the bail bond. <coughs> So, yeah, so the, he basically sort of, like, there's still a story that, like, right, okay, Jackie wants to meet you because the, things happen. She didn't trust uh, Lewis or or Marlene, and then, you know, so she had to take what she can to save your money, but she's got it w- with you. And obviously, this is just like, you know, Mar- Mardell is, isn't really buying it at all, but it's just kind of like to get the get get him to where he needs to be. He says, he says Jackie's frightened, and that, that's mm. interesting character work in itself, because Odell doesn't believe him. Like, Jackie, frightened. The thing is, she does show fear. She is scared. But I think she's been used to hiding her feelings and everything over the years. But yeah. I really like this, because uh, he, plays, he plays it so calm, Max Cherry. Mm. He's got to go and see this really dangerous guy. Um, and he's got no chance against him physically. He's got no chance against him in terms of being armed because he'll have gone on him straight away. Mm. But I just love Robert Forster in this. I, I kept thinking like what a, a vulnerable position he's in because he's literally offering like, well, he could literally just kill him, like just because I don't believe you. I'll just I'll just go go to your place and get do check it's myself. It's a gamble. Every yeah. second is a gamble because or or the characters in this film have just killed people quickly with not much warning hmm. Odell's done it a couple of times Lewis did it once as well he is in extreme danger and he, you know he's he, he could be killed at any time he isn't thankfully because Odell even at his most monstrous listens to reason there's a brain in there at all times and he's like okay hmm. the most sensible way to get my money back is to keep you on side keep you very warned as to your position um, and it's that they have to go to uh, the, the bond shop or mm. whatever you call it, in Max's office. Yeah. Uh, and Max Cherry Bonds. <laughs> and you see sort of Jackie Brown waiting there with a gun, like kind of practising, as, yeah. as if she says she's like, basically she's having a shootout. She's, effect- she's effectively trying to sort of test her response times. Mm. And so that's what we're expecting, and as soon as Aldell turns up... Um, she says, she basically yells, "Ray, he's got a gun," yeah. which is true. He does have a gun, 
but she wasn't actually in any immediate danger, but it was the quickest way to get it done. She'd also turned the lights off so no one could really prove different. Mm. Uh, and then he gets shot by the, by the police. He gets shot three times, I think it is, by Ray. Um, and what I love about it is the shot of him on the floor reminds me of the Joker dead at the end of Batman 89. There's something a little bit creepy about it, and he's been shot through the throat as well. Mm. So there's a wound in his throat. Some thoughts gone into that. That's that's a really great shot of him lying dead with the camera sort of spinning. With, with the hair as well. The hair down. That was a genius move for the last sort of act of the film, which is literally what it is, just the last act. Because all the way through, he's been wearing sort of Kangol, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which he looks which, fucking well, amazing which, what, in action. Yeah, what, what Samuel Jackson wears all the time anyway, but... Uh... Yeah, he, he wore. I wouldn't say he wore his own wardrobe because I imagine they bought all that for him for this film. But he very much was a creator of his own style in this film. The little braid in the beard, and that was him. So Quentin knows when not to make all the decisions himself. He knows when to say, "Let's use what's around me." Then we go to the final scene of the film, which is probably, yeah, which is uh, almost bittersweet. Yeah, why didn't Max? Why didn't Max go with her? I, I think it's. I've always felt that it was, even though he, he's very sincere in how he feels, he just, he just knows it's just not. He's just a straight arrow. He just can't go, do, live like the, a criminal life. Even though there'll be, you know, he can't live his life that way. Even though it's they're not. Let's say going to be crimes per se, but if you know what I mean, it's like I can't really go. <laughs> it sounds kind of snobby. I can't really go with like a criminal or not in that way. It just doesn't feel right to him, despite yeah. how he feels. The kiss between them. There's two kisses between them, and again, it's very subtle, and I can't explain this any different than they kiss like real people kiss, mm. not how film people it's, yeah, kiss. Yeah, it's very much like how somebody would do it in real life rather than like a movie kiss, isn't it? It's... Yeah, I mean, it's still quite full on. I mean, it's a proper, it's not quite a stop, but it is a real kiss. Mm. But it feels like real people of middle age kissing more than a core. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. Not like, not like the proper, the, the, the movie sort of like, sort of embrace and just sort of... It's just something about it. There's a slight awkwardness to it and it's it's just good. And, and the thing is, they get into, she gets into the car, she tries to get him to go with her. She's, he's taken 10%, which he's really reluctant to because that's his fee for working for mm-hmm. anyone. Um, and she drives off to 110th Street playing again, which is kind mm-hmm. of on the soundtrack, but mm-hmm. she's singing along, so it's in the car as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually kind of choked up a bit at this tonight. I don't want to overplay that. I don't think I was on the verge of crying per se. But you were moved. I was moved by it in a way that I probably haven't been mm. ever. And I don't know if that's because I'm getting older myself. It was like a... It's also like the cyclical nature of it as well. I think it's more the fact that there was a potential love story there that's been lost. And I, yeah. I think lost love, when it feels like a real thing, yeah. is, is quite painful to see being lost. I, yeah. I I guess the real reason why he didn't go with her was because I don't know. I, somehow that's a better ending. It is a better ending, but but you but know, why though? Are to, <laughs> is, is if we a... are to critique the film, I'm not sure I've ever fully understood. Yeah. Um, it, it feels like something he would do, but I can't tell you why. Yeah. 
if that makes any sense. I, I, I guess probably that's more or less what Tarantino has in mind anyway. You probably, you probably, it's been decades since you felt like that. We've got no reference to kids or anything. He might have kids. He might have grown up kids. But we know he's not married. We know he doesn't have anyone in his life. And he's going and buying romantic music and new music mm. and things like that. Not new as in new on release, but new to him. Yeah. These things don't come up that often in your life. Why would you voluntarily just let it go? And I don't think he's sure himself because he, 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 he takes a call while she's about to leave. Uh, and he has to get that person to call back. I don't think he can quite deal with it himself. No, no. I, I, I guess may, maybe if there was like a little bit of a, a bit of past history with him, like, like he's always fucked up relationships or something along those lines, where he just doesn't want to kind of. But the character's go... so well drawn yeah. that cliche wouldn't have worked, would it? No, I, I didn't think that would have worked. If we'd had a load of chat around their kitchen table earlier in the film about how his relationships don't work out, it would have been the most crunching bum note yeah. in the film. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just more down to like just it's just one of those things where it we we didn't need the reason. It just well, fair enough. Yeah, you know, it, it just happens like that. It, 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 it's as you say, it just makes sense for the character. So that's all we need. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was. Um, I thought it was beautiful. This film yeah. in, in in so many ways, not least its score. That score is just absolutely soared this week with me i've listened to it so much um the this is exhibit a for the benefit of having experienced actors but not just experienced in their craft but experienced in life all of the major players with probably the exception of bridget fonda in this film are over 40 all of them Pam Greer would have been late 40s at this point characters slightly younger but late 40s samuel l jackson would have been similar uh, Robert Forster would have been mid to late 50s Michael Keaton probably would have been in his 40s Robert De Niro would have been in his 50s and it it gives this film something it just gives this film something that it the, the stakes are relatively small you, you in, could in say Dave crime films, you could say Dave it's mature you could say all. it's mature very mature <laughs> it's one of his more mature works um, I think the thing is in crime film terms We've seen so many films where, you know, they go and steal 12 million. I mean, think of Ocean's Eleven. I think they went and sold like 160 million or something like yeah. that. So half a million in crime film terms is, is not very much. But what imbues the films with stakes is this, this is, these are real people with real problems and real histories. And when they're making decisions, like at the end of the film about going with her or helping her in this crime or whatever, they're balancing whatever decisions they make against decades of experience that may be telling them something different. Like he might want to go with her, but he might have a history of like relationships not working out or whatever it might be. He might just think she's far too glamorous. I mean, she says, um, are you scared of me? And he just says a little bit sort of thing, makes that sort yeah. of thing gesture. A little bit scary. It might just be, he thinks she's out of his league, you know, and it, it can't possibly last because I'm just me with my shitty car and little business. Mm. But I mean, that's I, I'm rambling now. That's I'm just going to leave it there. That I think the character work, but also it, it's the cast that make this as great as Tarantino is, and he's done little things in this film. Like he's even changed the aspect ratio. We hasn't we haven't even mentioned that. This is no, the first, oh, no. That's the it's point, not actually. it's not it's not CinemaScope. 
it, it's flat widescreen, 185 to 1, um, which is kind of appropriate for a much more sort of intimate drama. But it, it, so it is in, in him because he had to make the music choices and he had to decide to, to show that sort of incident at the mall from four different angles and three different angles or whatever it was. It, he had to make all those decisions. But this film soars on casting. And that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I think it's one of Tarantino's most mature... No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd not said that at the start of the fucking show. No, it's funny, it's funny. No, it's... Uh, uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 I said at the top of the podcast, I, you know, I, I think, Dave, I think you're right. Uh, I, for, for me, what makes it work is, like, I think it's just the... Just to believe that... You know, how I believe in, in the in the characters on screen, you know, I'm, I'm kind of... I can read their expressions, I can feel their emotions, and I'm just engaged by the drama that's happening that's happening in their heads, you know, rather than what's on screen. And it 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 looks great. It's really sort of it's really well shot. It's it's unassured, you know. It does, it's not showy. It kind of just it, it it's just really well done without showing showing off and without saying, "Look at me, I'm great." It just. It just gets on with it, and it's just—it's just great on its own terms. Um, and but yeah. it's still got plenty of verb. It's got an yeah. incredibly cool soundtrack. Oh yeah. So, so it's not Tarantino turning you, all you, that you, off. You you will be walking away with like you know uh, Bobby Street Warmack Street. in your head, yeah, and oh, yeah, in your head yeah, and so. Um, so yeah, it and and also and also one of the things that Jackie Brown has that Tarantino tends not to have in his films is a heart. This does have a, an emotional heart to it. Which is not necessarily in his other work, so I think that's probably those are the two reasons why I'd say probably say it's my favourite because the believer, the, the believer, how I believe in the characters and its emotional core. I mean, it's never been top for me because there are other films that I've preferred usually, mm. but um. Having said that, every time, I and mean, we're not formally ranking in that we won't do a rankings episode, but I am ranking as a go. And it's actually going to take some beating. It's top of the three so far. I think I know the film that's going to top it, but that's going to have to be some fucking viewing of that film. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. Becca? Yes. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it's quite difficult to rank these films. Um I was quite surprised because I, I kind of thought, oh no, like stylistically, I wasn't expecting it to be so different. I don't know why, um, maybe because it is based, you know, it's, it's on a um, on an adaptation. But say that they're kind of they they are quite similar in their writing styles as well. Um, obviously, we'll see um, in the hateful eight. Obviously, Tarantino's take on the western genre, um, and again, play with other genres in amongst that. Um, but now I said at the top of the film, no, I, re- I really enjoyed it. Um, characters are so kind of rich and diverse. Um, and I kind of felt a bit bad for kind of saying that I, I, I would have kind of agreed that I'd kind of feel a bit relief when Mel got shot because I just kind of felt like, oh, like you know, get off. She's not real, like, Becca. It's okay. I know, I know, but it's just one of those things. It's like because they, you know, all, every single one of these characters are abused by Odell, and it's just it's inexcusable. But he is. Yeah, but like, she's an infuriating screen presence by design. It's a exactly. great performance. I mean, it's, oh, no, no, it's, 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 it's but, brilliant that you can, but, you know, she kind of she creates this classic. But performance. you're desperate for her to shut the fuck up. Exactly, it's because that she's so good. 
that you kind of feel you know if she just kind of been quite sort of wishy washy and normal you think, oh, it, no. it, it's it's part of the mastery of the film that you can kind of both you can both sympathize you, you can both sympathize with the murder but yet feel bad that she's been feel bad about it exactly. <laughs> yeah. it's, yeah, it's, the, it's, it's the fact that they are so well played that you can feel for these characters and we do really feel for Foster's character bless him um no, I'd, yeah, I had a really good viewing of, the, of this film. Um, really enjoyed it. I, I, to be, I mean, just because I started watching it kind of late last night and then had to pick up again before this podcast, so I kind of split it in two. Um, still fine. Um, I was just, my eyes were closing, I was just really tired, but not because I was bored. Um, I could not stay awake. I'll be editing um, all that back anyway. 15 minutes of you explaining why you were tired. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, no, I, I really enjoyed it, and I do... If we were to, to rank the Tarantino movies, I would rank it quite highly. Um, I, I'm still quite a big fan of next week's film, um, but it, it all depends on what kind of viewing I have with it coming up. Um, and again, just where I've been into like Asian cinema over the last sort of decade or so, um, I'm not saying you know I'm not an expert, but I just take an interest in it. So looking forward to that very much. Okay, what have you, what else? What have you got to teach us about this film, though? I don't feel like um, enough. And I need some fun. I need some fun, and I need some knowledge. I'm more into the facts tonight. I love fun. Don't get me wrong. Fun is is quite a lot of fun. What but, what, what if we combine the two? Uh, it, is that even feasible? Let's find out, Becca. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave. Okay. Did you is say earlier? Your, is that your is that your first fact? My name. <laughs> That's fun, folks. That's fun, folks. Oh dear. The um the the Brits were the Brit nominations were announced recently, weren't they? Um, and I saw there was. I, I'm guessing he was a solo artist called Dave, and I thought, oh, Dave, he's been busy. Well, yeah. there's actually so lot it's called Dave. You know what? I just gotta say, as an aside, very quickly, I don't want this. Sub- it's getting late, so I don't want this to run much longer. But I have to say, I went on the Christmas Day episode of Smorgasbord and sang in falsetto, right? right. But but voice of an angel, guys. That got released, and two days later, do you expect us to talk? Got an email to to add expect us to talk at gmail.com. Can we perform at weddings and barbers? <laughs> it was from some. It was spam. I think it, I don't think it was real. Oh. But two days after I do this, I get a letter from a record company <gasps> saying they'd heard our stuff <gasps> and would be interested in representing. <gasps> oh my god! I hope you said yes. <laughs> the whole point about spam is you don't. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm joking. Though, having said that, what obviously, if they do spam, unless it's from like EMI or Universal or Warner Brothers or or unless they put out or Sony, stop, it made it sound like music. I'm thinking you're claiming to have heard our stuff and you think we're music. We're not. So no. it's, it's spam. But it was, it, no, it was obviously spam. But two days after I sing for the first time, I think well, I how think about that? there's a bit of talent, eh? So anyway, teach us some stuff, Becca. For sure. Um, so fun fact number one, obviously. Um, in the novel, her name is Jackie Burke, and obviously Quentin Tarantino changed name to Brown as a reference to Foxy Brown. Yeah. Just as an um, aside, um, of the of her, by two, Pam of her two most famous films, her two most famous films are probably Coffee and Foxy Brown. From memory, I didn't like Foxy Brown, but I really liked Coffee. 
So yeah, another fun fact is that a copyright notice appears under the title screen at the very start oh, of the shit. film. I meant to say this, but I would have ruined your fun fact. Go on, <laughs> what's the copyright notice? Well, no, it's just the fact that it appears. You don't see that anymore. And obviously that would ah, have been common okay. for Black Swan It also movies. had the name of the production company there. See if you can guess what the reference... See if you can tell me what the reference is to. Because it's Mighty Mighty Aphrodite. Oh, yeah, of course it is. Mighty what's Aphrodite. That, what's that a reference to? Um, Aphrodite? What's the, what's the link to Tarantino? Oh, that's a fun fact quiz. That's a... I, think okay, I, I, think, I think I know the answer to that. What is it? Mia Sorvino. She didn't yeah. go out. He was dating her oh, at the time. She is. won an Oscar for Mighty Aphrodite. Of course she did. Yeah, because yeah. they were going out at the time. Yeah. 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 That's fun, folks. That's fun, folks. That was I'm fucking torturous, go. folks, to be honest. Because <laughs> <laughs> I completely forgot that he was going I, out with Mia Sorvino. I don't think if you, what I've learned there is not to go for like a Q&A format with it. Next time I'll just fucking tell you. Not can you tell me, folks. <laughs> Pen, pens, are, pens on papers, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> not only was it deeply hard. patronizing, but it took forever to get an answer out of them. <laughs> you can chop it out in editing. More factage. More factage. He demands the factage. Um, where are we? So yeah, um, obviously in the film, Jackie Brown has an answer machine. You have no messages. Um, that voice is Tarantino himself. I, I haven't numbered my fun facts this week. I don't know why. Um, anyway, the N word is said thirty-eight times. That's quite. That's and quite low for Tarantino. That's quite low. Yeah, compared to the last F bomb, which was what it feels was low though. Because the I think I can only remember it a couple of times. The one that sticks out is when she's got the gun held to his dick. Mm. Yeah, that kind of. She says it there. Yeah, that really does stick out. Yeah, Not compared to the F bomb <laughs> in the last film, <laughs> so two hundred sixty-five times. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, that, my... that would that would kill your boner when you got a gun sort of pointed at it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you're you're packing less firepower, aren't you? Really? <laughs> in more ways than one. Okay, so oh, I can't remember the name of the mall. Is it Del Amo or something? I don't um, care. But anyway, so it says like the biggest indoor mall in the world. It's not. Okay. The biggest indoor shopping mall in the world is New South China Mall at 6.46 million square foot. Actually, it's also a ghost mall because nobody goes there. In terms of the biggest mall in America, given over to retail and entertainment space with many cinemas and many shops and a roller coaster and a theme park, is obviously the Mall of America, to which I have been, and it is vast. That's fun, folks. Though I didn't know the largest mall in the world was Ghost Mall. That would be fucking. That's weird. That, but you know. No, apparently, yeah, that it's, 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 it's like big. Ship, they just can't get it, anybody in. Is it not there in certain lights? Yeah, it just disappears. No, it's just one of those. You know, it's it's so huge. Yeah, no, nobody goes there, and there's like no retail space. And like any space that's any space that's used up is like for McDonald's and Starbucks and Boking and things like that. Like Western food chains. Yeah, I think we're leeching the joy out of this now. <laughs> I think that's interesting, though. Great. I mean, especially somewhere in China. Yeah, but as well, it's not like called country. interesting facts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, social media, folks. Uh, you can find me at Simitrox on Twitter. You can also find this podcast, as well as the other podcasts I randomly do on occasion, at Simitrox.uk. You can find me at the Pasty Kid nineteen seventy six on Twitter. So I'm just covered in fluff, and I don't know where it's come from. Um, you can find us at. Do you know of all the lines Becca could have said next that I would that would have been low down my list? <laughs> I guess, I'm guesses. 
I just don't, I don't know where it's come from all of a sudden. I'm just covered in floof. And I don't know where it's coming from. Floof. Floof. You're covered in fluff, please. Yes, if you want to, you can email us, regardless of not whether you're covered in floof. Um, expect to talk at gmail.com. Um, we're on Facebook. Just type in expect to talk. We're on YouTube. If you type in do you expect us to talk? And you can, of course, find us on the Twitter at expect us to talk. And we're also on iTunes and Stitcher. If you head over to iTunes, just type in do you expect us to talk? And please leave us a glowing five star review. Or anything three stars and higher would be lovely, thank you. No, no five stars. <laughs> Don't leave a three-star review. That's like on Amazon. If you go onto Amazon and a product's yeah, got a three-star right. review, it'll be shit. It's like, yeah, it's all right. No, no, give it us a five-star right. review. Cause, no, you know, five stars. If you're going to do if it, do you it are, If you are um, drawn to giving us a five-star review, please do that. If you're not, thanks for your interest. That's oh, it. You're gone. Fucking hell, Becca. Give us a three-star review. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Don't give us a three-star review. Three-star <laughs> Tell us, Higher, what, tell us what you really think. I know. I normally cost us a star by myself. Come on, let's not fucking make it worse. Well, it's one for me, one for you two guys. So that's three, and then no, two more for good luck. Yeah, two more for good luck. Yes. <laughs> so that's my five stars. Anyway, that's to press the shit out of me now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, I think we should take six years off. <laughs> and return with a completely different genre, which means Becca. And do, and do it and do it in two parts. Thanks for fucking up my flow there. <laughs> <laughs> Becca, what's next? Do you expect to talk or return with Kill Bill Volume 1? <laughs>